It's time for Twit This Week in Tech. What a panel! Brianna Wu is here from the Rebellion Pack. Paris Martineau from The Information. And CNET's Lindsay Turrentine. Lots to talk about. Facebook abandons Australia. Did they do the right thing? We get pictures from Mars thanks to Perseverance. Uh, and it may be the end of the 9 to 5 workday. What does this mean for the Salesforce Tower? It's all coming up next on Twit. Podcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. This is Twit. This Week in Tech. Episode 811. Recorded Sunday, February 21st, 2021. Big Brick Energy. This episode of This Week in Tech is brought to you by Worldwide Technology. WWT's Advanced Technology Center is like no other testing and research lab with more than half a billion dollars of equipment, including solutions from key partners like HPE and Intel. And it's virtual, so you can access it 24-7. To learn more about WWT, the Advanced Technology Center, and become a member of their growing community, go to WWT.com slash twit. And by Stamps.com. Stamps.com allows businesses to do all their mailing and shipping right from their computer. No need to leave your home or office or home office. For a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment, go to Stamps.com. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and enter Twit. And by the TriCaster 2 Elite from NewTek, the most complete live production system on the planet. There's a TriCaster for every production, including yours. Go to NewTek.com slash TriCaster, where an interactive guide will advise you on which TriCaster is right for you. And by Amazon Pharmacy. Amazon Prime members can save on prescription medication when not using insurance and get free two-day delivery. Learn more at Amazon.com slash TwitRx. It's time for Twit This Week in Tech, the show where we cover the week's tech news. We've got a great panel assembled. The return of Brianna Wu of the Rebel Alliance. No, wait a minute. What's the name of it? Rebellion Pack. Rebellion Pack. Kind of like the Rebel Alliance, right? I, I think Disney would have sued us about that. Yeah. Like, they tried to make Admiral Akbar the, the mascot <laughs> of my college football team. That didn't go no. well. And you know, we were really worried they were going to sue us for rebellion. But uh, fingers crossed. It's I can all see so far. Admiral Akbar saying, it's a pack. <laughs> that would be a great logo. That'd be a great logo. I'll see what I can yeah, do. Yeah, make I'll it the, you know, the Lucas. sneaky, the don't tell George logo. <laughs> anyway, great to have you. Well, I'm going to ask you all about Rebellion Pack in a little bit, so don't don't uh, forget that's where you work. I will try very <laughs> Okay. <hard. laughs> also joining us uh, from The Information, she's a reporter there, and always welcome here, Paris Martineau. Good to see you, Paris. Good to see you. Good it, to be here. Are you, is the snow melted in uh, New York or is it still? Oh, no. It's still piling up, wow. getting a little slushy so that you slip, mm. but uh, still there. There's a car on the corner of my street that has been entombed in wow. what feels like six or so feet of snow for almost a month now. Wow. I'm waiting t- to see what happens to it. The snowplows come by and they plow it up onto the car. So every- It's truly insane. You can't see the car from yeah. any side. It yeah. just looks like an iceberg, but there's definitely a vehicle on there's, there. there's a pony in there somewhere. <laughs> and then every week they come by again and bury it some more. So it's perfect. It's great. The poor guy who owns that. 
They haven't used it in a month. I guess not. <clears throat> Nowhere to go. Nowhere to go. Also thrilled to have Lindsay Turntine from beautiful San Francisco, where she is now regretting spending the next two hours <laughs> with us. I'm going to love every second of it, but I'm also going to look out the window at the oh. like 70 degree weather and oh. pine. Oh, we haven't had uh, nice weather in a while. I mean, I look, I, I feel bad saying anything because our friends in Texas, we had uh, Wesley Faulkner from Austin on a couple of weeks ago ah. and it had just started and there was a screaming from his kids and he said, oh, the snow's starting to fall. And it was like excitement. But as it turned out, it didn't turn out all that well. I think Wesley's <laughs> fine. Um, uh, but boy, what a mess. What a mess down there. Uh, so our hearts and uh, thoughts and prayers go out to all of our friends uh, in the, the great state of Texas. I hope things are starting to look a little bit better. Meanwhile, depending on your point of view, things are looking a lot better or a lot worse in Australia, where Facebook has decided to respond to the threat of the... Now, people might say in Australia, the legislature in Australia might say it's a snippet tax, that they're just asking Google and Facebook for a little money to pay back publishers for the snippets they publish. But a lot of others, including Mike Masnick at TechDirt, are saying it's really a link tax, the worst kind of internet tax. Um, it isn't a law yet, but uh, it looks like the, the, the legislation will go ahead. Uh, originally called for by Rupert Murdoch, it's interesting to compare and contrast the two responses. Google decided to get down to the negotiation table, made a deal, paid apparently uh, some, we don't know how much, but a significant amount of money to the news publishers and said, all right, we're done, no problem. This after threatening to pull out entirely of, of uh, Australia. Facebook not only didn't negotiate, even before the law became a law, they have cut off news. And in, and in Australia, that means about one-fifth of the population that gets its news from Facebook has to look elsewhere. The Australian Broadcasting Company uh, app became the number one app briefly on uh, on uh, the iPhone store. Uh, it also means that I think fairly critical Australian government news sources have also been cut off. Um, Brianna, what is this an overreaction from Facebook uh, or is it justified? You know, Leah, I was hoping you would go to Paris or someone else first because you don't I mean, care. I don't work you, you don't no, care. It's not, that I do, it's not that I don't care. It's that I'm an engineer and engineers sometimes when we know we don't like this is a very complex topic, right? Like it Facebook is. says, according to us, uh, you're getting the better deal publishers because we're driving traffic to your site. Okay. And then, you know, on the other hand, some publishers feel very strongly that Facebook is um, kind of monopolizing the people get to Facebook, they don't go to individual websites right. anymore. So it kind of stops that flow through effect and it forces publishers to, you know, get the most viral articles that they can. I truly see both sides. So on this, I'm kind of more inclined to keep my mouth shut and listen to people. That well, in this I'll field. go to Paris Martineau, who is in fact a journalist, a reporter. Um, I don't think you would step up and defend Rupert Murdoch and the newspapers in Australia and say, hey, they deserve to be. I mean, honestly, isn't the problem that the Internet is putting newspapers out of business, not Google or Facebook particularly? I think it's complicated. I think that the Internet has changed the way that people's changed habits and changed the way that people understand um, uh, news as a product. 
they view the information that they're getting as uh, a part of this social network that they're participating in, in the case of Facebook, rather than individual articles and news products that they are consuming that were produced by um, news gathering outlets that employ people that had to actually make that. And I think that that is a much larger issue than Facebook's activities in one country. But Facebook is inherently involved in it. And I don't know. I mean, I think it's one of those questions that's certainly above the pay grade. of. <laughs> you don't like have to tell, worry about but, it. Uh, <laughs> Except that we might have to worry about it because Canada and many countries in Europe are looking at this Australian legislation as a template for what they might want to do. And I think if that happened, it could it would be really interesting to see what happens next. Like what happens to the news media ecosystem? What happens to news right. literacy? What happens to the information age? If people suddenly have to go and visit news sites once again, if they don't just are, if they're not just being fed whatever inflammatory headline they come across first from freedomeagle.wing.us. Right. <laughs> that was my first reaction is that Facebook – the news, the so-called news feed, this was confusing. The news was originally news from your friends and family and high school sweethearts, but it became a feed of actual news. I think the Facebook news feed would do well without all of that, you know, news. Because I, I think I'm not a member of Facebook anymore, but when I joined it, I thought that the promise was you're going to stay in touch with friends and family. That seems like a perfectly reasonable goal for Facebook. Here's what Facebook says. They say it's, it's an unequal uh, relationship. Last year, Facebook generated 5.1 billion free referral, free referrals to the Australian publishers. They estimate that's worth about 407 million Australian dollars. For Facebook, the business gain from news is minimal. Again, I'm, I'm quoting Facebook's own post. News makes up less than 4% of the content people see in their news feed. So, they say it's an unequal relationship and you want us to pay you when we're really doing you a favor. Lindsay, you well, agree? Here's, it, it, I, like Paris said, it is complicated. I think about this all the time. It's like my job to think about this. Um, here, here are some of the, of the realities of the situation. Facebook says that 4% of its news feed comes from actual news. And if that were true, it wouldn't care. So uh, that's so true. It wouldn't just, cost them much to pay those bluff. people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just don't believe it. Like if you think about what you see in an average news news feed on Facebook, and, and I don't spend time on Facebook either, but I've spent a lot of time like poking around for business reasons. It's um, I, I just for one thing, I don't really believe that it's true. Like as a percentage of posts, it may be four percent, but as a percentage of what ah, you see, that's a I very good distinction. They way, may be hiding the truth. Right, way more than four percent. And if you think about what the pro the problem, one of the many problems with Facebook is, is that the algorithms in Facebook tend to push into your feed things that are controversial or things that are scary, mm -hmm. and a lot of that comes from news sources. The other thing that I'm really interested in, and actually, frankly, very worried about, is if somebody is getting most of their news from Facebook, and I do not recommend doing that, but a lot of people do. And people getting most of their news from Facebook, and they're not really paying attention to this, and it slowly changes. I think it would be great if everybody kind of left and went to a good, trusted primary news source to get their news. But I'm worried that what might happen is that freedomeagle.net or whatever you said that was very funny, Paris, um, might become a trusted news source oh, on Facebook because point. it is not identified as news. It's just something somebody wrote on their – like on Medium or – 
um, on their own blog, or they're actually just writing to Facebook as a primary source. Um, so, so I'm worried that it makes the disinformation and misinformation problem worse. Um, Excellent it's point. sort of a fast and, and I think from an execution standpoint, by the way, this has been really messy. One of the things that's interesting is that and I, I still do not have confirmation on why exactly this happened. I think it was a mistake. But when all of this rolled out last week in Australia, CNET, which has a publishing office in Australia, it's our Australian news publishing stopped, of course. But actually, Facebook shut down everything. So our page was blank. Oh wow! Because we happen to publish in Australia, I believe so, that was a mistake. So, and it's been fixed. Okay, but it was really messy, and it just goes to show that Facebook itself is reacting quickly, and probably it's such a complex web of sources that they're not even really able to to stop exactly what they intend to stop. It does feel like uh, you know Google. It's uh, it's. Uh, it, <laughs> It feels like a threat and execute. Like they should have made the threat and then executed instead of just doing it. But maybe they felt like Google tried that and it didn't work. They did. They did actually make a threat a while oh, ago. They did. Basically, nobody okay. paying attention to it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, wow. They did. Wow. I think what concerns me about this is, and God knows, I I hate it. It makes me die inside sticking up for Facebook because they're such a garbage company. But. We've seen so much balkanization of the internet. And you know, Lindsay, I fully agree with what you're saying. Like consider the source when you're hearing these numbers from, you know, Facebook press release there. Uh never forget they lied about like video views. <laughs> they they've lied about uh all kinds of things, just not been forthright with data with people. But at the same time, I agree with what you're saying, Leo, that a link tax what that's going to end up doing in practice is they're going to decrease the um, amount of information that they put from publishers who are asking to be paid. And then people that are asking not to get paid are going to get pumped up higher in the, in the news feed. So, uh, you know, because it's cheaper for Facebook. So I think that will facilitate blogs and, you know, non-reputable sources or, or people with actual journalistic integrity. I think that's going to accelerate that tendency of people to do it. And I think it's going to accelerate this balkanization of the internet. So um, it's just, it's so hard because I see how Facebook has stacked the deck against small publishers. We all want journalists to get paid. I just, I'm not convinced this is uh, going to be an effective way to get there. Well, in fact, the other, the ahead, other part of that, I just, I just want to grab onto that because I really agree with what you're saying and behalf, like on behalf of small publishers and also Facebook has done everything it can to try to get publishers small and large to publish content on Facebook as a primary destination, right. as opposed to simply linking to Facebook, to, to content on Facebook. They would rather that you partner with Facebook and do things like create video series that run on Facebook as a primary source. So, so Facebook, while it says kind of, yeah, we're not really interested in, in news as a business proposal, they're just not interested in news that's not theirs as a business proposal and so that's just one more compounding issue here they were damned if they did damned if they didn't i mean google got a lot of heat for making a deal with rupert murdoch well the publishers but primarily rupert murdoch and uh facebook got damned for cutting off news in australia it seems like there was no good response from either company those are the two possible like, responses uh apparently well, I mean, and i think that's of the fact because it 
this has been a problem that has been growing for years and years and addressing it now after it has gotten years after it got to be a problem. I mean, this has been something we've been talking about for a long time and trying to address it now is going to be infinitely more complicated than these companies are prepared for or news publishers are prepared for. (laughs) And that is just, I think, a natural effect of how entrenched um, news has uh, gotten into these platforms and into social media content overall. And when I say news, I mean both you know, links to news articles and, uh, like Lindsay was saying, this sort of native um, content that Facebook um, is asking publishers to create for them. You're And you're also right, uh, Brianna, because Facebook and Google could weather this in either direction. They make plenty of money. Uh, it's not the end of the world for them. It's the small publishers who might be much more reliant on Facebook, for instance, or Google search that... Uh, you know, that's what happened in Spain when Google cut off Google News in Spain. Uh, for the same reasons, the publishers end up giving in, screaming, please put back the search results. We're, we're losing traffic. Lindsay, have you seen a, a, a dip in traffic uh, on CNET because of this? I should, by the way, I did not g- give you your title, Lindsay Turrentine. She is a senior vice president at CNET for exactly this, content and audience. So this is you're right. This is your. Have you? Is it hurt? Uh, it, well, it, our Australian audience is a pretty small percentage of our total audience. It hurt for a minute while there was this mistake was happening. Right. Um, so you still have a page there that people could go to. Yes, and what that we publish from. So CNET publishes to Facebook, and that uh, and was we, not we cut content. off. It was cut off globally, and that was a oh. mistake. So it's cut, but it is so it's still cut off in Australia, but not cut off in the rest of the world. Correct. Got it's it. Cut off in Australia, just like any publisher's publishing page is cut off in Australia. So right. we can no longer post content that is specifically targeted to the Australian audience from Australia. We, but for a minute, we weren't able to post content at all, which was a mistake. But it's just sort of indicative of right. the kind of um, you know we we have a we have people whose job it is to communicate with Facebook and let them know that something is going wrong right. and. It's a big part of your business. I mean, it it would be bigger if you were bigger in Australia, but it could be a for some for a lot of publishers. I'm sure it is a big part of their business. Oh, certainly. And if you are a large publisher who targets Australia, you obviously obviously this applies specifically to Australian media. But there may be publishers outside of um, outside of Australia in the APAC region more generally, very focused on that audience who are being very much hurt by this. This seems like on. I never thought in a million years I'd say I feel sorry for Mark Zuckerberg, but I kind of do because it seems first of all uh, Facebook is constantly hit by for anti-democratic, you know, uh, posts on Facebook. I think a lot of people blame it for the January sixth insurrection. Um, they just now took down the military junta in Myanmar's page, but it was up for a long time and very much. You know, in the Philippines and Myanmar and other countries, Facebook's very much been used for anti-democratic action. So they get a lot of heat for that. Uh, They get a lot of heat from news publishers for stealing. I put that in in scare quotes. And uh, and they're getting heat from then other people at the same time and say, yes, but the the press needs you, Facebook, because you're because you're giving people access to news. You cannot. There's no way in, in that environment that you could win. 
Well, well I mean, it's pretty this tough. is a consequence it's... of being a company that their whole goal was to grow to this size right. and larger and become the de facto internet. If your yep. goal is to be the medium for most human online communication, you're going to have to deal with all of the problems and consequences of that of becoming right. that platform. Uh, and they may be intractable. Is, is really- I wonder if you let go of and it's it just we always go back to how it's almost impossible to grow any social media platform without AI. And if you walk away from the algorithm, you could probably do a much better job. Yeah. What say, if you walked we're away from straight feed? What if you walked away from a world hegemony and just said, "I want to be a United States company"? It would still <laughs> you'd still have headwinds, but at least you'd be able to know, you'd know who to negotiate with. Um. But then you can't grow to the size of Facebook. So, so I think Paris, you're exactly right. This is this is the deal that Mark made. This is what he wanted. Now he's got it. Don't feel sorry for him. And it's complicated. It's complicated. Who would have guessed? Yeah, be careful what you wish for. Yeah. Uh, what's the solution, <laughs> Brianna? You wanted Time. to be a politician. What's the solution? <laughs> I mean, I think, I, I think it really comes back to what uh, Paris is talking about. Like, this was his goal. He didn't just, you know, uh, his monopoly didn't happen serendipitously. Yeah. He bought out every single competitor along the way. Uh, you know, he. I, I am of the opinion Facebook fell into some anti-competitive behavior. And I believe Facebook needs to be broken up. Um, you know, functionally... I say this as someone who buys a lot of political ads. Facebook is a duopoly. Uh, you know, Facebook and Google are a duopoly. There's only two checks I've ever written to anyone online, you know, when it comes to ads is Facebook or Google. So I think um, when you have that much power, these kinds of problems are, are bound to crop up. Um, like imagine a different universe where a Facebook, um, I'm sorry, a social media network with you know, more news, like more straight news could have uh, proliferated, right? That would have been amazing. But this is his bed. He's he's laying in it. And I I don't think it's surprising if uh, you know, people are coming to him and trying to drive a hard bargain. We kind of skated past like uh, Canada looking at uh, implementing these same policies. I fully love the idea of different um, you know countries coming together and forming kind of alliances and their policies with Facebook, looking for common goals because – one-on-one, -on -one, Facebook is just going to pick them off. If they're all strong together, I have no doubt eventually they will get a, a deal that's better for journalists and you know uh, news companies. And uh, I will channel Jeff Jarvis, who's one of our hosts on This Week in Google, and a journalism professor who would say, really, it's the publisher's fault for not embracing the new digital <laughs> era thoroughly and, and offering people a way to get news uh, you know, I mean, they just they just didn't understand it and they ended up hurting themselves by trying to continue doing what they were doing. Uh, and that's partly because I think Jeff was the guy who went around like Paul Revere saying that, you know, the Internets are coming, the Internets are coming and uh, was roundly ignored by uh, news organizations all over the world. Roland but zero zero in the chat room has created your new logo, uh, Brianna Wu. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> please, please send that to me. Yeah, that, it's on the Twitters. It's on me. the Twitters, okay. Matthew. I can't wait to... Yeah. Uh, although, uh, Matthew, can you make it? It's a pact. It should be a contraction, right? Not. It is a pact. Uh, I think <laughs> I Admiral like Akbar liked the contractions. I may be wrong on that. I don't know. 
No, you're right. <laughs> Not an expert. We're going to use that. We're going to use that. There is news. Uh, BuzzFeed had a story on Friday that uh, while Facebook was about to ban Alex Jones and his InfoWars channel for hate speech, Mark Zuckerberg changed the rules. He said he didn't consider them to be a hate figure, according to a person familiar with the decision. So he overruled his own internal experts and opened a gaping loophole. BuzzFeed reports, this is Ryan Mack and Craig Silverman, Facebook would permanently ban Jonas and his company, but would not touch posts of praise and support for them from other Facebook users. So you just, he said, okay, you can't publish, but everybody else can publish your stuff on Facebook. Mark didn't like the publisher, the punishment, so he changed the rules, said a former policy employee. But And so in a way, he has made his own bed here. Um, Zuckerberg has by, by, you know, kind of moving the playing field. Uh, Mike Masnick in um, Tech Dirt said the bizarre reaction to Facebook's decision to get out of news business in Australia. He, he lauds it. He praises it. He says, Facebook is a terrible, terrible company and, and deserves lots of blame for lots of bad things. But this ain't it. This is Facebook standing up for freedom on the internet, says Mike Masnick. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Congressman uh, Dave Cicciolini, what committee is he on, Brianna? Is he on um, the antitrust committee? I'm trying to remember. I, I don't know. Often. Yeah, he's uh, from Rhode Island's first district. He's the antitrust subcommittee chairman. Uh, he tweeted, uh, if it's not already clear, Facebook is not compatible with democracy. This is the guy, the Democrat, who's going to be leading the charge in the investigation against Facebook, I should point out. Threatening to bring an entire country to its knees to agree to Facebook's terms is the ultimate admission of monopoly power. So there's that. <laughs> Again, do, I don't want to, but do, I kind of feel sorry for Mark. Go ahead. Does anybody else think that this is that it is possible? I mean, there's some hyperbole there, I would assume. Does anybody think that it is possible that not publishing news in, in on Facebook in Australia is going to bring the country to its no. knees? Quite the I opposite. Mean, quite I the think... opposite. And in fact, if it does help people find other sources, I don't know, maybe that needs to happen. Like maybe this is the fix. It's just gonna be messy. That's kind of my yeah. kind of what's my thinking is let's just why Facebook wouldn't you do yourself a favor if you just stuck to what you said you were going to do, which is connect family and friends? Isn't that really? Yeah. What's but wrong I mean, with that? That would require Facebook real, uh, admitting that, no, what it means is it's not just about connecting family and friends. It's about, oh, you are using a fun app, uh, TikTok or something. We want to also be yeah. the place where yeah. you um, post those sort of reels. Oh, you are thinking about, you know, getting into commerce or delivery type stuff. We, we want to be that, that as well. We could do that. Facebook yeah. wants to be kind of the medium yeah. of everything. Yeah. And Mark, I mean, in that uh, Alex Jones article you just mentioned, it is evident that he wants to be involved in all of the nuances of these kind of decisions around news. And you can't have it both ways. You can't want to be part of everything and be able to make these sort of strange uh, calls personally yourself. And then right. when a country like Australia asks you, hey, this is very complicated and we needed a solution from you that's going to fix it, be like, oh, that's too much for me, man. I don't know why I should be involved. I'm We're just going here. to pull out. I'm taking my Paris, ball and going home. Yeah. Paris, can I piggyback off of that? Because I think it's such a good point. You know, I, I think it's so telling in this story. 
what Mark chooses to get involved with and what he chooses to sit out. There's a major story that came out last year about Facebook bringing in some experts in racial inclusion and how that would impact the news feed. And they came forward with a whole host of of suggestions. They tried to get buy-in from Zuckerberg. And he flat out said, you know, I don't want to get involved here. Don't bring this to me again. That, that was in the story. But they're not – he does want to get involved with giving Alec Jones a free pass. Mm. There is there is ample reporting out there. My friend uh, uh, Clara over at uh, Mother Jones, their news outlet was decimated by some of Facebook's decisions in how to weight their uh, company versus other companies. Yet you hear stories about uh, you know people like Ben Shapiro after com- repeatedly breaking the rules with you know the way they they get things upranked and shared more virally. You know they are or Diamond and Silk. They are allowed to break the rules over and over and over and over and over again, and Facebook won't step in. You know I something I feel really strongly about is it often bothers me when my friends on the left will make like a a, a joke that includes like a death threat on Twitter. No. And then they act indignant like if right. the rules are applied to them. Right. And it's like, no, if you believe in this rule, it's one standard. It applies to everyone. Like that's the rule. Where I think it's not reasonable is if Mark is personally stepping in and and, and disempowering these experts he's bringing in to make these kinds of decisions. It's trying to have your cake and eat it too. I would submit that there is a rule. It's just not the rule you think. That the real rule, the rule Mark follows, is not to do with left or right. It has to do Mm -hmm. with engagement. And if Diamond and Silk drive traffic and Mother Jones doesn't, which I would submit is probably the case, uh, then you prioritize mother uh, uh, diamond and silk you it's not about politics i doubt very much it's about politics for mark it's about and this is the problem with algorithm it's the problem on youtube it's the problem on twitter it's the problem on facebook anywhere where posts are ranked by algorithm uh, and the algorithm is designed to improve engagement to increase attention you're going to get this this is just what happens uh, because the the real rule is whatever gets people to stay on the site and read more because the more they look at, the more ads they see, the more we make. That's is, am I wrong? Is that not really no, how all of these sites you're work? Correct. But I mean, the issue is, it would be one thing if they were transparent about that, or at least transparent when they make these sort of decisions and saying, "Yeah, you know, we had these rules, but really, what we're prioritizing are the um, creators that are keeping our community engaged, or something like that." But no, they try and. Um, obfuscate their actual intentions behind this idea that, oh, we're really all just about protecting free speech. Oh, you know, we have such (laughs) high morals that we're defending. It's like you can't you can't say that if that's not what you're doing. And we know that's not what you're doing because that's not how people are running businesses. You need to just at a certain point state what you are actually doing, especially if you are going to continue to be called to Congress to answer for your actions. Honestly, I think that if, if Facebook is 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 essentially an advertising company, yep. like any any company that it, it's a media company in its own way. Um, I think maybe this you asked a while ago, what's the solution? Maybe the solution is for people purchasing advertisements to demand that the setting for those ads is high quality. 
just like they would demand that from an original publisher. They do that now, and though. Really don't they? demand that from Facebook to say, "Look, I don't want to sit next to hyperbolic content. Right. I don't want to sit next to content that is all about fear." And I'm actually kind of surprised that that hasn't happened. They would. Re- Facebook, Facebook would have to respond to that, right? Because that's about they would have. They would have to respond to it, and most publishers actually do have to respond to this demand because there's this concept of um, brand safety right. in advertising. Right. So. We get that. I don't. In, uh, I don't understand why brand safety well, hasn't. We get that in our advertising contracts all the time. In fact, a year ago, we got uh, contracts from some advertisers that said we don't want to be in any shows that mention COVID. Which of wow. course we, we we lined that out of every contract because obviously that's ridiculous. But I I always thought advertisers did care about that. One of the problems with uh, YouTube uh, is that you don't know exactly where your ad, what the what the environment of your ad is going to be. Maybe these maybe these sites like YouTube and Facebook are so lucrative that advertisers go, yeah, it's fine. We'll be wherever you put us. Well, we're starting to see something along those lines happen. In July, there was. Um, Kind of the first large kind of uh, Facebook ad boycott right. boycott, and over a thousand companies participated in it. And, you know, Mark actually had meetings about it where he was like, oh, I don't think this is going to last. I'm not sure that we're going to actually have to respond to this pressure. But there were, you know, some marked changes in the way that Facebook was operating just in response to this small movement. And I what think happened that the to only that, way- by the way? Are those companies still off Facebook? I That's bet, a good question. I bet they're back. Let me look it up. I bet you anything they're back. I bet Mark was right. Oh, I bet they're back. Yeah. That's Let's that's see, ultimately what could... how Facebook wins. You cannot not be on Facebook. Lindsay, I just wanted to jump on something you said a second ago, which is about like brand quality. Like why aren't they looking out at uh, you know, seeing basically advertisers saying, let's make sure the stuff we're near is quality. Leo, in practice, uh, what my friend, uh, my friend Nandini uh, over at, she used to run Sleeping Giants. Uh, she basically looks at a lot of advertisers and tells them when they're advertising on, say, white supremacist sites oh, and wow. ends up getting them to pull dollars. That's a She's business? Amazing. Wow. She, she has a business. That's She's interesting. 10 out of 10 amazing. It's a what phenomenal she is, organization. Yeah, she's she's great. Um, what she's found, though, is in practice, uh, when brands do exercise that, they they very specifically say, we don't want to be near any content that may say Black Lives Matter or, you know, anything to do with racial justice or gay rights. It's uh, It tends to, like, make certain sectors of news reporting, which are already very difficult to, you know, get resources for. It makes it even harder. So I think... Based on her experience with that professionally, I would personally suspect that might not be the best direction. Yeah. It's a really good point. It is it is always difficult to monetize bad news of any kind. Yeah. Right. Or even controversial news. Oh, but it seems like I'm... it would be worse to monetize. It seems like it would be harder to monetize what has ended up creeping into Facebook, which is often false information. Yeah. So tying this all back to the what what gets the most engagement wins, it seems like that's what has to end, uh, because the most engagement is often not always, but often aligned with uh, poor content. At least that seems like an avenue to pressure Facebook to do the right thing. You're never yeah, Facebook's not going to change, and I think it's naive to assume that any, especially publicly held company, is doing anything but maximize shareholder or stakeholder value. I mean that's. That's what they do. That's their job. Corporations are fundamentally amoral. They're not bad or good. They're just 
optimizing for profits. That's what they do. That's why they're designed. That's why they exist. In fact, it's it's the big businesses I think that are more like that. Small businesses like mine, we can have we have the luxury of saying, well, we do think Black Lives Matter, and if that's going to bother some advertisers, well, the hell with it, uh, or some listeners, uh, the hell with it. We're going to do it anyway. Um, but that's because I'm I'm small enough to be and ornery enough to be uh, <laughs> able to do that. I doubt very much you'd see a big television network or a platform like Facebook uh, make decisions like that. That's tough. That's tough. And I'm sure the stock market would punish them for that, which is even tougher, right? True. Uh, great conversation. Brianna Wu is with us. Have you given up all political aspirations? Oh, no. I am just biding my time to strike. Biding her time, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen. Oh, my gosh. That's good news. Rebellion PAC. Uh, that's, her, uh, that's her political action committee. It is. Your donations are welcome, but I would read up what they're uh, what they're doing before you before because if you're diamond and silk, you're not going to want to give them money. (laughs) (laughs) Probably not. We did a lot of work. We we got tons of voters out in Georgia. Obviously, it was not all our win. There are many other people, but we were one of the soldiers that fought in that war and helped deliver the uh, Senate to the Democrats. I'm very proud of that. Rebellionpack.com. If you want to know more, that was a big deal. Good job. Yeah. It did not happen serendipitously. No. I went from working 80-hour weeks in the presidential election to working 80-hour weeks in Georgia, and everybody was just dead wow. by that point. What kills me is that now that the election is over, so many local uh, local and state legislatures are uh, now kind of uh, doing all they can to eliminate voting. It's <laughs> yeah, really yeah. depressing. It's uh, really grim. It is. Yeah. And I take it that Rebellion Pack is probably going to do what they can to stop that. We have an ad coming out Monday uh, encouraging people to uh, pass the uh, John Lewis Voting Rights Act. I don't care if you're right, left, libertarian, center, whatever. I want you to be able to vote. This is just restoring the full protections of that. It's common sense. We all want a fair game, and that's our position. Yeah, that seems like a tenable position. I'm not saying how to vote. Just everybody, anybody who wants to vote should get to vote. Yep. That seems sensible to me. You know, that's kind of how we built this country. I thought, maybe not. I might be a <laughs> wide-eyed optimist, a naive Pollyanna. Also, Paris Martineau, ensconced at the information. Great to have you. Great reporting Great coming here. out of the information lately. What, what, are you, what are you working on? Oh, I'm working on a lot of stuff. I cover Amazon, so there is always a million different stories that I should be covering at all times. We'll be getting to the Amazon Um, in a little bit. There's a lot going on over there. There is. It's a whole world in and of itself. Yes, it is. And some really big scoops coming out of the information. Uh, Somebody in the the chat room was saying, who subscribes to it? I do. And I have practically since uh, Jessica Lesson started it. It really is. Uh, it's it's not cheap, but it's it's worthwhile, and it's I'm really glad to support this kind of journalism, and your journalism, Paris Martineau. Uh, we Thank also you. yeah subscribe, guys. Yeah, yeah, you don't have to subscribe to CNET; you just have to read it, uh, right, Lindsay? <laughs> That's true. There's it's no free. paywall. Is there a paywall? There's at a, there no. is no paywall. No, there's no paywall. We are uh, the information is an amazing B two B publication. We are a yeah. We are a. Uh, B to C. Focus publication. B to we are 100% C. And by the way, C. it is your TikTok feta pasta recipe that I've been following. <laughs> All the rage, kids. It's uh, We have a number of people on staff 
who are making, making that pasta this weekend. TikTok feta pasta. <laughs> Is there nothing uh, TikTok but- can't do? Uh, <laughs> and seen it, of course. Uh, you did last time you were on. We were talking about your Great Black Friday coverage. Anything you're working on you want to share with us? Um, this past week, we, we kicked off a series. This is actually a little bit more serious um, about how we close the digital divide in the United States. Good. So there's some really good reporting good. on the site right now about uh, just Americans who can't reliably get, get broadband and the FCC and how it's going to be fixed. Good. Um, so there's there's really good reporting on the site right now that you should go check out. And, and we're also always, always focused on giving the best advice we can give on pretty much everything. I'm a fan. Third employee, <laughs> as I told you. I love it. I love it. <laughs> uh, CNET.com. Our show today uh, brought to you by those great folks at Worldwide Technology. It, I have a little nostalgic because it was almost exactly a year ago that Lisa and I took our very last trip to the outside world. We went to St. Louis to see Worldwide Technology's Advanced Technology Center. I could not believe it. It started 10 years ago in one little building, just a few racks of enterprise equipment. Uh, Worldwide Technology is an integrator, consultant, and seller of enterprise uh, technology. They're really the best in the business. And they started building this advanced technology center at first for their own use. This was what the Worldwide uh, Technology engineers used to build proofs of concept and pilots in the sandbox so customers can you know, choose the best solutions. They can see how they interact with their existing solutions, things like that. And it really has been a boon to worldwide technology. They're in their beta testing new solutions based on the latest and greatest HPE technologies. But it is now something you can use as well. And that's pretty amazing. Over the 10 years, it's grown like topsy, $500 million worth of equipment from big OEMs and key partners like HPE and Intel to disruptors like Equinix, all in these racks. And by the way, they're beautiful. I, I don't, I, I, I don't think they let us uh, film it. I wish we could have, because if you saw this, it would blow your mind. But now you can use it, which is really cool. ATC is now online. They they created this lab as a service. It's a dedicated lab space within the Advanced Technology Center where you can do your own programmatic testing using this half-billion-dollar ecosystem that uh, WWT has built. Completely virtual. You don't have to go to St. Louis. You can use it any time of the day or night, anywhere in the world. You can. There are schedulable and on-demand labs like HPE's Primera Storage Lab, along with hundreds of other labs representing the newest advances in cloud-based machine learning, and storage, they really, they cover the waterfront. Uh, th- this is, this is I, I, I love their philosophy, which is to be, in every respect, your trusted partner. Somebody that stays with you over the years. Many of their customers have been with them for more than 10 years. Because they know they can go to WWT to get the answers they need to make sure their business runs right. I want you to give it a shot. You can go right now to www.t.com slash twit and learn more about these enterprise technologies that can transform your business. The ATC ecosystem system creates a multiplier effect of knowledge and speed and agility anytime, anywhere around the world for their customers. Not only the hands-on labs, but there's articles, there's case studies, all the tools you need to understand what's happening in this enterprise world is changing so rapidly. And to, and to take it and turn it to your advantage. To learn more and discover why organizations 
across industries turn to WWT to guide them on their digital transformation. Visit WWT.com slash Twit. Create that MyWWT account. Uh, you can access all those resources right away. WWT's Advanced Technology Center ecosystem is there for you. WWT.com slash Twit. Worldwide technology. Delivering business and technology outcomes around the world, all from their home in the St. Louis. And Lisa's already told me the first place we're going to go after COVID is out to St. Louis to say hi to all those folks at WWT. Um, I think we could stop talking about Facebook now. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Hello, dream come true. <laughs> you know, after the election, I thought, well, we don't have to talk about Trump anymore. But that way, that did not come true. Um, I know what I want. <laughs> I know what I want to talk about. Perseverance. How many of, show of hands? Did you all go out on uh, Thursday morning and uh, or Thursday afternoon for you guys and watch the amazing pictures from JPL of the second Mars rover, Perseverance, landing on Mars using that crazy uh, sky. Uh, crane technology. In fact, this is one of the first images. Images came back so quickly. It was really cool. This is one of the images from the sky crane looking down. It's this, it's flying above the surface of Mars, about six feet up, or I'm sorry, 20 meters up. And it's the, the Perseverance is on these cables as it lowers it to the surface of Mars. Then Perseverance releases the cables and the sky crane flies off to its destruction elsewhere on Mars. There is a Linux-driven uh, helicopter that's going to be exploring the surface of Mars. Four feet dual rotors because of the thin air. And it's uh, running on Linux, which some wag pointed out makes Linux now the uh, number two operating system on two planets in the solar system. <laughs> <laughs> really, really, uh, that cheered me up immensely. That just made me feel like, you know, sure, it's there's troubles on Earth. You know, but uh, we also have amazing ability. And there are, in fact, three different countries, China, the uh, UAE, and now the United States, who are uh, visiting Mars. Monday, uh, we expect to get video footage, including the first sounds from Mars. I was fooled. I'll admit it. I ran over to Lisa. I said, Lisa, listen, we've got sound from Mars. Some wag had taken curiosity pictures, stitched them together, and put some unknown sound behind it and tweeted <laughs> it, and it fooled me. So that wasn't it, oh. but yeah, I know. Right when the uh, it was landing, I uh, also got into sound from space Twitter and was listening to recordings from Venus. Uh, although now that I say it, didn't do that much research into it. So I guess they could have also been fake, but it seemed very legitimate <laughs> on Twitter at least. <laughs> uh, yeah, Snopes debunked uh, mine. Uh, is this real audio uh, from Mars? Because we, kn I knew that the reason I believe it is I knew that, that we were going to get audio from Perseverance. Uh, but this isn't it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yes. The sounds from Venus, correct. It is the uh, Venera 14. And oh, Venera 13. So we did send a microphone um, to recordings Venus. Recordings right before uh, the machine uh, dissolved, wow. burst into flame. Oh, Russia I'm forgetting did this. exactly in what yeah, way yeah, yeah. it was uh, destroyed, but Venus was too hot. But it certainly sounded that way. I probably uh, should have realized if I'd looked more closely, this is contact 
content, media literacy in a nutshell. When I that the tweet was from anonymous, that this was <laughs> that this is not sound from Mars. Oh man, twenty one point five million views. I think that I'm not the only one who was fooled. <laughs> so, I just I feel I feel like sorry I I was just gonna say I feel like it's it's so depressing here on Earth in so many ways like you read climate change news and it's terrible and I just I feel like what I loved about this story is it it showed what amazing things we can do yeah. when we like set a goal. And we work for things that are greater than our own, like, petty differences. And it's it's so inspirational. You know, you think back historically what happened when we landed on the moon. The United States had just been tearing itself apart at the time. There were all these, you know, societal changes. And it was, it was a very stressful time. And it was a moment of hope. And that's exactly how I felt watching this. Like, I just felt, I felt good for the first time in a long time. Yeah. <laughs> I did. I felt inspired. And then yeah. I started thinking about all the seasons of The Expanse that I just finished watching, <laughs> which is basically about how we just take all of our petty problems yeah. and put them in space. Earth, yeah. Mars, and then I got depressed the Belters, again. and the Outer Planet Alliance, <laughs> yeah. all at each other's throats. <laughs> That's the future. <laughs> uh, Sorry. Such no. a downer. Well, no, it's true. It's probably true that we will carry with us all our flaws, but... Uh, that's kind of one of the most amazing things about humans. At the same time as we are horrible, we're also beautiful and amazing. And it's kind of all at the same time. It's a very, it's interesting being a human, isn't it? We've got flaws, flaw, we've got flaws but our flaws are also on Mars. So I guess that's... There you go. <laughs> there you go. Uh, we should point out uh, my friend Daniel Suarez, who has written many science fiction books, uh, said that you really don't want to live on Mars. <laughs> it's really, really inhospitable. <laughs> really? It yeah. looks so easy in the looks, Martian. looks like uh, yeah. Arizona. What, how hard could that be? <laughs> Turns out the regolith, the very, very, very fine dust that covers Mars would actually kill you almost instantly if you got any of it in your lungs. So okay. don't. <laughs> My, my I was going to move to Mars, and now I'm not. Lynn. Well, thanks for being a. So you're telling girl. me the uh, 2011 uh, Pixar film Mars Needs Moms lied to me? Yeah, no, it's wow. not true. <laughs> really, I saw Mars Needs Women. I didn't know about Mars Needs Moms. Apparently, it's not Pixar. I just looked it up. It's Walt Disney Pictures. But close, uh, close. yeah, okay. Mars Needs Moms. <laughs> now you got something you can watch America's tonight. 3D computer animated science fiction film. Elon Musk <laughs> says. He is going to build 100 uh, capsules for humans to go to Mars in the next couple of years. Elon Musk says okay, a lot of Elon. things. <laughs> yeah, he really does. <laughs> um, he is funding with, with SpaceX, which is also uh, not SpaceX, uh, Starlink, which is SpaceX's other project, the one to put Internet on every corner of the Earth. That actually is coming along. We're getting close uh, to uh, to uh, being able to, you could pre-order space Starlink now, not SpaceX Starlink now. Four hundred dollars for the equipment, ninety nine dollars a month. It you know it's uh, going to top out at about one hundred fifty megabits. So I don't know if it's going to be the best internet you've ever had for that price, but it's kind of cool. Um, it could certainly make a big difference for people in uh, most of the country where you can't get even. 
uh, a fraction of those speeds. Yeah, but yeah. they're not going to pay 99 bucks. I suppose he'll have a, I, I presume they'll have some sort of inexpensive version, right? Maybe. One would hope, but. Yeah. I mean, I feel like this is a, this is a story that is, is not covered the way that it needs to be. Like even here in Massachusetts, people think like we're like a, a high tech uh, city because, you know, of our biotech industry and MIT and Harvard and all of that. But Western Mass has massive problems with lack of access to uh, Internet access out there. Uh, my home state of Mississippi, the exact same thing. If you get up there to the it's Delta or problem. even yeah. just outside of Oxford, there are yeah. huge parts of the United States where it's it's really um, I almost want to use the word. It's, I mean, it's abusive, the pricing practices uh, that they have for like satellite internet. So um, fully support the goal. Um, you know, I think it's good to see someone working on this because God knows our governor in Massachusetts isn't. Well, thank, thank goodness Comcast dropped its data cap enforcement. They were going to enforce data caps in the 12 remaining uh, states that, that didn't have them in 2021. And I guess Massachusetts is one of the places where they're not going to have yeah. those uh, data caps. So, it's insane that they have data caps for all those other states, generally speaking. It makes no sense. It, it, you know, what, one of the things we learned in, in 2020 was you don't need data caps. You know, they took them <laughs> off and nothing went wrong. Nothing collapsed. It all was fine. More people at home. Everybody Zooming. Everybody working from home. And it still was fine. But think of the shareholders, Leo. Think How are the they going to get all of the money they can if, uh, <laughs> you know, people are using Internet at uh, paying out the nose for How it? Dare and, you? Uh, How not, dare you? you know, think of the shareholders. I think well, it's it, going to be so interesting to see post-COVID. So many companies have said now you can work from anywhere and there's this right. sort of democratization of, of where the workforce can live. But that will be limited by this problem. If you're like a doctor trying to participate in telemedicine, but you don't have fast uplink because you're on a satellite connection, you can't do it. So I wonder, I wonder if over the next few years as, you know, Oracle or Salesforce is like, no, no, please go work from, you know, Alaska or rural Maine. And and then their employees are like, well, actually, I, I can't. So you can't pay me less to work in a more remote area because I can't do the work. If this will start to, if those economic pressures will change. Yeah, well, if you can't get internet, there's no point in it, which is too bad because the least expensive places to live are the ones that have the worst internet. So uh, you, I guess you're going to have to pay a little bit. But yeah, Spotify joined the ranks of companies uh, who are saying not just during quarantine, but going forward, we're going to let our employees work from home. Spotify says, by the way, that they'll pay you the same no matter where you live, which only makes sense to me. I don't understand. I mean, employees doing a certain amount of work, they're worth a certain amount of money. What do you care if they're living in Vermont or San Francisco? I don't understand why that should make any difference. Um, well, it depends on, but but uh, it'll be interesting to see if they will pay the same amount of money if they hire. Ah, uh, after in, after the fact, yeah. Yes, yeah. that if the, the hiring price for somebody in, in a less populated region will be lower, I suspect that it'll be cheaper to hire people elsewhere for a while. And then eventually, maybe... This will all kind of sort itself out and it really will cost the same amount of money to hire, you know, an entry level software engineer. Is it the, and I, I don't know, you're a boss, maybe you can tell me, is it the fact that pe uh, at first, I mean, I, I remember as a as a boss, I, I didn't want my employees to work from home because I figured they're screwing off. 
So I wanted them in the. I, I, it was that it's that Henry Ford mentality. I want to be able to see them in the cube farms and make sure <laughs> that they're working. Damn it, <laughs> you know. Actually, it's more like Bob Cratchit and Scrooge, right? Get get it, get there and work. And then uh, along comes quarantine. People are still the job's still getting done. People aren't coming into work. Saves me money. I may not have to rent that big uh, office downtown uh, San Francisco. I may not. You know. I mean, that's going to be might be good for companies. Shopify has announced. Uh, that the nine to five workday is dead. No, no, I'm sorry. That was Salesforce. Shopify says Shopify did make a similar. Yeah, all five thousand yeah. employees can work from home forever indefinitely. Here's, well, and they're here's thinking what I'm of worried when, about. Uh, what are you worried about? Because you're a boss. Are you going to let those slackers? go home <laughs> and work from home i'm actually legitimately worried about people working too much and yeah, I, it's the other sounds, problem that yeah. sounds sort of nutty yeah. but i am truly worried about burnout i'm worried that when you don't have an a, like a physical end to your day it is much harder to stop that's a really good point to, to figure out where to to draw the boundaries. And I think that a lot of people are starting to experience that toward the end of this year. People have been working very, very hard for very good reasons. And it has benefited, you know, everybody in a lot of ways are, are starting to feel a little ragged. And I think if everybody's working from home all the time, we've got to help people establish some boundaries. I also worry about, we have some employees that are living alone. So they are completely, I mean, there is their social life was coming in here and having, you know, the birthday cake for whoever's birthday it was this week. And we'd have lunches and stuff every Wednesday. We'd have lunch in the studios. And uh, I worry about there's one employee. I'm not going to name names, but he joins our uh, Zoom staff meetings now uh, lying on a pillow, lying down. He's on. He's in bed. I can't like, believe you're calling out your employees like this. <laughs> he knows who he is. <laughs> he's he's in bed like this. In bed, it's okay. That's, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of, there are editors at my job that come in fully horizontal. And I think more power to you. More you power. can enter a meeting uh, fully horizontal. That I wish I had that kind of confidence. Now the chat room's guessing who it is. <laughs> no, we, yeah, I, I, it's I not that worry. I don't love our employees. I worry about them. I feel like, gosh, I hope they don't go off the deep end because they're there's they're not talking to anybody, right? Yeah, that's. Scary. I don't know. I I almost believe in a in a hybrid model for this. I mean, when I think about the really great, extremely difficult engineering things that I've like tackled with a team in my career, you know, servers melting down, trying to get something patched that's very very difficult. All of that was like sitting in a room with other people on my team, diagramming things out, really feeling that trust and really feeling heard in a way that you can only do when you're there physically together. And I mean, you know, I I just I feel like there's a limit. And yeah, like Rebellion Pack, we're all virtual right now. My game studio, we were all virtual. Uh, my congressional campaign, we were all virtual, but we also had policies in place that we would make sure that we had a, a physical in-person meeting about once a week. That's a good idea. And and I've really found that to be so yeah. key because without that, you're there's just something missing from Zoom. 
it just, it doesn't, it's, it's not the same. Oh, I agree a hundred percent. So I just, I mean, maybe there are some companies that can work, uh, with people moving all around the country to where it's cheapest, but I just, I, I just really wonder if that's going to be how the really best products are made or the really toughest uh, challenges are solved. It's kind of ironic that Salesforce, which just built a giant tower in downtown San Francisco at what must have been hundreds of millions of dollars, has, has declared the nine-to-five workforce dead. And uh, I am fascinated by this. Yeah. Like, they really just built that. They yeah. didn't even get to open the little tram. So where does the tram go? It kind of goes down from the um, from the transit hub to the plaza outside the, the it's, tower. It's also, and you work in San Francisco, so you can tell me, do they have strippers dancing in the roof? What is going on there? <laughs> I've never been in that room. A number of people from my staff went up there when it opened and, and toured it. There were no strippers when they went up there. So just so people know, I probably could find a video of it, but... <laughs> The top of the Salesforce Tower, which frankly is a giant phallus, has yes. is lit in a weird way, and there are people, giant, thirty foot people dancing in it many evenings. Sometimes, and I'm told there are different videos that play. Oh, out they're on videos because originally yeah. wasn't there a spot they were going to? There's a club in San Francisco. Bim, have you ever been to Bimbo's Three Sixty Five? It's one of my favorite places. I've seen many concerts and shows there. (laughs) It has behind the bar a fish tank. And in the fish tank, there is on special nights, they don't do it all the time anymore, but there used to be when it was like all the rage, you know, Sinatra era, a a naked woman swim, a mermaid swimming like, but she's live, but she's a foot long. She's tiny. And it turns out there was a mirror contraption going to the basement and there was some poor woman on a chair, (laughs) naked, swimming like that. And it would be reflected up into the tank. And I've seen this, by the way. It's wild. And that's all I can think of with the Salesforce Tower is that there is somebody in the basement (laughs) dancing. I don't know. Isn't that how it works? I feel like I can't even talk about the Salesforce Tower because all of my conversation about the Salesforce Tower at home is so inappropriate (laughs) for this Here for your delectation, those of you watching at home who don't believe me, is video from uh, Channel 2, our local uh, one of our local news stations. That is about 30 feet tall. That's each of those divisions is a floor. So she's one, two, three, four, five, six stories tall. And it sure looks live. Look, here comes somebody else. Oh, it does look live. Yeah, this is too I always thought it was a recording. Tower. It's bizarre, and it is the top of the giant penis, so it's even weirder. What? I don't like that at all. I don't either. I don't. It's, it, is, it, it, is, it is from, you know, I used to live in San Francisco for years. I love San Francisco. I don't know what's happened to it, but it's ruined. To me, it's ruined the skyline. Is What is, well, there are dancers in this. So that building is from my office. And I barely remember what it's like to sit in my office. But from my office, you can I have a direct line of sight to the Salesforce building. And at about 5 p.m. during certain parts of the year, the reflection off the side of that building literally blind me. Like I'd have to get up and leave my office. Because I'm not it was surprised. So bright. Here's a picture. This is the classic San Francisco skyline, <laughs> the Transamerica Pyramid, the beautiful Coit Tower, and in the middle of it, <laughs> this thing. Why? 
I blame Mark Benioff. This is what happens when you have too much money. <laughs> anyway, I don't. So, 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 Salesforce owns a huge amount of real estate in downtown San Francisco. Uh, it's not just the Salesforce Tower. There are a lot of other buildings around the Salesforce Tower that are full of Salesforce people, or were. Wow. And I would anymore. kind of assume, although I do not know, that everything is going to retract to that tower. Yeah. If if that, maybe just the tip. <laughs> Maybe just the three of the tall people. As long as the tower doesn't retract. Oh, goodness. I'm sorry. I can see now why the conversations around your house are a little. It's just, it's just like we can't even talk about it anymore. You can't. I I suddenly understand. (laughs) Forget I mentioned it. (laughs) But there is a larger question, which is what happens to these company towns if people are no longer working there? Um, that that undermines everything. The tax structure, uh, you know, a city is only safe. You know, New York's safe because there's people walking around all the time. If those streets are deserted, it gets a little scary. Isn't that right, Paris? You live in Brooklyn, right? Yeah, people are still walking around everywhere here. Good. Um, it's, I mean, obviously the density has changed, but safety and whatnot has not I, really. It is the case. If I feel like when you're in a city, if there's a lot of foot traffic, that's good. That makes it safer. Yes? Um, I guess. I mean, I'd say, yeah, foot traffic, obviously good. Yeah. There's the balance because of the bystander effect that technically, even though we feel safer, um, if someone, let's say, is having a heart attack or something in the middle of a busy street, uh, no one will go Nobody and does help them no? or call 911 because they think somebody else will. But that's a different point. Yeah, generally it's better wow. to be in a place where a lot of people are. I was told if uh, you're getting assaulted uh, in a city, you don't shout, I'm getting beat up. You shout fire because everybody's interested in a fire. <laughs> and they'll all come over <laughs> to see the fire. That makes sense. Oh, goodness. No? Okay. That's grim. You, it's grim. You've I'm sorry. You've thought a lot about this, Leo. There's something wrong with me. I think it's, uh, I've been spending too much time <laughs> you gotta alone. got to get a life alert. I'm the guy. On the pillow in the Zoom meetings, I can admit it now. I, it seems like a simple a simple help would would do the job. Hopefully, you would think, but apparently, me. maybe not in Brooklyn. Help! I'm having a heart attack. No, but if you say fire, people come running over to see the fire. I'm not kidding. All right, I want to take a break because it's just going downhill, and it's all my fault. I totally apologize. <laughs> the Salesforce Tower's fault, really. It is. It is. I blame you, Mark yes. Benioff. Our show today brought to you by Stamps.com. In fact, nowadays, one of the places you probably don't want to go a lot to. I haven't checked my post office box since last March. I'm a little nervous because it's only about yay big. And I know it's going to be, I'm going to open it up and it's going to come cascading out like crazy. But I love the post office. I got a post office box because I like going in there, waving at the people. The last thing you need to do, though, if you need stamps, if you need to mail packages, is go to the post office. You can do it all from your desk, with your computer, with your printer, which is amazing. Stamps.com. Legal U.S. postage printed right from your computer, on demand, 24-7. You can send letters. In fact, you can print right on the envelope. If you're sending out bills or brochures or something, you can print right on the envelope your company logo, your return address, and the recipient's address, in fact, it even pulls that from your address book or your spreadsheet or your website. 
So you no time typing. It's always accurate. Stamps.com always prints exactly the right postage. In fact, they're going to give you a USB scale, so there's never any question. You could ship packages. You know, one of the things, I, I buy stuff on Etsy. My wife does. And every once in a while, we get a package from Etsy that it's practically like a six-year-old. It's tied with twine, and there's 50 stamps, lick, obviously licked, on there, all different kinds, crisscrossed, upside down. It doesn't project the best impression plus it's a lot of trouble on your part when you have stamps.com it prints out the label it automatically fills in all the forms if you want priority mail or uh you know um uh confirmation that kind of thing uh, if you're printing out if oh, sending overseas customs forms it does that all automatically and by the way now it's not just the united states postal service it's also ups they've made a deal with ups oh. yes so with stamps.com you get the both the post office and ups i mean it's the one stop for mailing if you're a seller on amazon etsy ebay big discounts too up to 40 percent off post office rates up to 62 percent off UPS rates. For example, UPS, normally when you send to a residence, I didn't even know this, you, there's a search, a residential surcharge. I can't remember what it is, like five bucks. They've waived that. So you're gonna, you, this is, it's a no-brainer. You need to use stamps.com, whether you're a small office sending out invoices, an online seller shipping out orders, even a giant warehouse sending thousands of packages a day. Stamps.com can handle it with ease. Official U.S. postage for any letter, any package, any class of mail. UPS. It does it all. Stamps.com. We've been using them for almost a decade now. What are you waiting for? I mean, it's the only way we go. In fact, I love it because we need stamps. I just call up and I say, Debbie, print me some stamps. Leave it in the drawer. And I get some stamps and I'm done. I don't have to go to the post office. Stop wasting time in line at the post office looking for parking, all that stuff. It's safe. It's easy. And it really works. Stamps.com. We've got a great offer for you right now. Go to stamps.com. There's the webpage. Click the link in the upper right-hand corner. Hear it about us on a podcast. Enter the promo code TWIT, T-W-I-T. You're going to get an amazing offer. A no-risk trial, four-week trial of stamps.com, plus a lot of free postage, by the way. You get a USB scale. There's no long-term commitment, no contracts. Just go to stamps.com. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage. Use promo code TWIT. I love them. Go to stamps.com and enter TWIT. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. We had a very nice week on Twit this week. I wanted to show you. You got it, John? A little a little movie compilation we made of some of the best moments. Watch. The cynical... Um, Wait a minute. Stacy's um, eating yeah. waffles. <laughs> Did you bring enough for the whole podcast? I've muted my mic and everything. Yeah, but I happen to look... Sweet or savory? Previously on Twit. Windows Weekly. Story that came out in the Financial Times that said Microsoft approached Pinterest, quote, in recent months about acquiring the company, even though it wasn't for sale. The big question is why? Why? <laughs> this week in enterprise tech. Not only has the M1 made a significant impact on the market, but has also caught the interest of hackers as well, especially the ethical research kind. A couple months after M1 was released, malicious code is already natively on the platform. It's all about Android. Android Auto and Android Automotive, yeah. it's ridiculously confusing. Both Android Auto and CarPlay do is it's just acting as a as an interface layer between your phone and the car. All the apps and everything are actually running on your phone. Android Automotive is actually a full operating system. So that's the operating system that powers your infotainment system in the car. This week in Google. It's okay. 
Stroop time! Everybody get a buffer Stroop! No, I know. This was a conspiracy. You said to Stacy, hey, just when Jeff starts going off, start eating the waffles. Hey, I think we should have All a right. little theme song. Twit. Now is the time when we Stroop waffle on Twig. Waffle dance. Please. That's waffle, my waffle, 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 waffle. Or you could hashtag waffle. I tried. We never did get that waffle theme song. But maybe, maybe it's not too late. I thought that was an interesting story. I don't know how true it was that Microsoft was looking at Pinterest and approached them about a takeover. It did come from the Financial Times, which is, I think, a pretty reliable source. Very reliable, yeah. Yeah, fairly so, right? According to the Financial Times, they were offering $51 billion (laughs) for Pinterest. They had all the TikTok money ready to go. They didn't know where they needed to spend Oh, that's right. That's right. They were ready to bid on TikTok, didn't get a chance. (laughs) By the way, I misreported that TikTok story. I will go back to Pinterest in a second, but I wanted to correct something because we had thought that the the TikTok acquisition sale thing was dead, uh, that the president was not interested in it, that this was a a passion project for the previous (laughs) president. Actually, that's not the case. Cepheus is still investigating it the uh, Committee on Foreign Investments in the U.S., and no decision has been made. So uh, it's it's still in limbo, this TikTok acquisition by... It would not now be Microsoft, it would be Oracle and Walmart. So you're right, maybe Microsoft, they've been saving their pennies. <laughs> they have a few. And they thought, what else could we get? Why would they, Paris, why would they want Pinterest? Um, I'm forgetting the exact uh, number, but... Pinterest has a lot of daily active users, more so than Twitter is a thing I like to remind myself whenever I uh, spend too much time thinking about the Bluebird app. Um, it's actually, I mean, Pinterest is a big social 459 network. 459 million monthly active users. 459 well, and million. Think about who those users are and what they're doing. A lot of those users are, for instance, like my architect sending me links yeah. to pin boards stuff you should buy buy. yeah stuff you should buy a huge amount of activity on pinterest is about stuff and stuff is how you make money yeah i mean at microsoft has a kind of laggard ad platform we don't ever talk we talk about amazon being is not exactly in that list we talk about google we talk about facebook nobody says oh the bing ad platform that's huge They'd, (laughs) they'd like to make it huge and uh, wow, what a signal. What 459 million monthly users telling you literally what they want to buy. Yeah, yeah it's pretty I valuable. See that. I can see that. I don't know. It's like, you know, with Microsoft, their stock is up so much this year. Like they're, they're really doing well. And I, I think about like their liquid data strategy. That makes sense to me. You look at their innovation with like documents with, uh, what is it, the Stacks technology that they're bringing out or all the stuff they're bringing out for Office uh, uh, 2021. That all makes sense to me. Yeah. Buying intra- uh, Pinterest makes exactly as much sense as buying TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> made to me. It just, um, maybe there's that like larger data aggregation case for it, but it just, it feels like, it feels like Microsoft is doing so well in this era since they got rid of Balmer. Like they're really, they've got a vision for the company. No kidding. Uh, Azure is just absolutely amazing. And I just, I mean, it just, it, it, it doesn't feel like it makes sense with the larger business strategy. Does that make sense? They spent, uh, this would be the large, they, this is, they spent like 3 billion for Nokia, 
Yeah. LinkedIn was $27 billion, half this amount. Uh, GitHub, a fraction of the amount. Minecraft, a fraction of the amount. This would be a huge uh, $51 billion. Pa- Paris, Maybe it becomes the I, ad platform. Uh, that may be. Paris, you were going to say something. I'm sorry, I, I, I cut you yeah, off. Yeah, I, I think that, I mean, that point is really valid. I think that there's a lot that they could do with Pinterest. And just a lot generally that any sort of company kind of could do to a platform like Pinterest. I mean, it's great. It serves the purpose, as you were talking about, Lindsay, of kind of this uh, visual sharing vision board network um, specifically for buying stuff. But it doesn't have the e-commerce integrations that Instagram or Facebook or TikTok even. Um, TikTok, I guess, is trialing e-commerce integrations. But uh, Pinterest, I guess, from a purely profit-based standpoint, could uh, be taken up a notch in order to kind of facilitate transactions and monetize them in a way that it currently doesn't. Isn't that what you're looking for? If you're a value investor, is something that could be made even more valuable yeah. by yeah. your acquisition. I'm looking at my Absolutely. Pinterest board, and apparently Pinterest thinks all I want to do is eat and drink. Uh, <laughs> is that, and, not, is that true? not true? And play drums? <laughs> <laughs> and have a double monitor? Did we say that at the same time? <laughs> <laughs> apparently, uh, it's a dead giveaway. But but what's great about this is there are ads in here. You know, this is an ad, and there yeah. there are a lot of ads in here. And you just, but it looks just like more of your content. I think this has and, and I, all of the appeal of Instagram that, and all of the value. Instagram ads are incredibly valuable, right? That's exactly what I was going to say, which is that this looks like it's almost as good as what Instagram is doing, but it has room for improvement. And that is exactly when you buy something, right. especially if, to your point, Brianna, the corporate culture is in a good spot at Microsoft. They feel like they've got management structure down and a really good set of tactics for turning things around. That's when you buy something like that. Yeah. Okay. I can see that. Maybe I should try to buy it. <laughs> Look, we'll put a little a little group together. Uh, <laughs> gather some dollars. Gather some bucks. Jar. Some I got some Bitcoin I uh, I've been sitting on. Oh my god, my Bitcoin is <laughs> worth so much. It's ridiculous. Fifty-seven. What is it now? Is it forty-seven thousand? What is BTC? Let me look real quick. The last I looked, it was fifty. It was close to fifty-six. Fifty-seven. Probably gone up. Fifty-seven four fifty. I actually. This is how bad it got. I have now a command line script I can hit with command space and see what the Bitcoin value is. (laughs) Oh, that's bad. (laughs) Right, right away. No, no, no waiting. Um, When I heard Tesla, you know, and Elon talking about this, I said, you know what? There's, there's. If you like to do momentum investing, like it's always a good bet to, you know, not not investment advice, but generally speaking, when Elon tweets about something, it goes up. And you know, when Elon uh, announced that Tesla was going to buy this huge stake in Bitcoin, which let's just say it's an environmental nightmare, but all the same, like it was what it was like forty six, forty eight at that point, and now it's it's gone up ten thousand dollars in just a couple of weeks. It's 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 stunning. Some of that because Elon Musk's Tesla bought one and a half billion dollars. Right. Yeah of bitcoin so that's elon saying it's undervalued it's going to go up so we're investing i guess i don't know why he did although elon is a little confusing because a couple of days ago he tweeted bitcoin seems a little high now so (laughs) that's a dumb thing to do right after you buy a lot of it elon i just want to pass along a little trading strategy there you don't (laughs) you you don't you don't you, you pump the stock after you buy it you don't 
<laughs> you don't downplay it. Maybe he shorted it at the same time. I don't know. He was hyping up Dogecoin last yes, week. Yes, and that he helped. Crazy. He helped Dogecoin quite a bit. It, it and the thing that gets me like Dogecoin is the fact that you can infinitely mine Dogecoins. It's just there's oh, no that's a problem. This this is what gets me. That's there's inflationary. No, yeah. It's inflationary, and there's no future I can imagine where Dogecoin is something <laughs> people actually use to buy something. It's a speculative well, currency. Well, That's wait a minute. And Bitcoin's no not? Dogecoin? <laughs> I, I do think so. Absolutely. You know, Bitcoin has alliances with MasterCard and things like that for you to be able to more freely buy things. With. How much Bitcoin First, do you have? So this is a true story. Uh, when I was running for office, uh, people were asking me what my position was on Bitcoin. I'd never used it. And I bought like 300 bucks of it on a lark, which is worth. I looked at my Coinbase wallet the other day. It's worth a lot of money. And I've occasionally asked myself, like, maybe I go buy a new car with that money. It's just crazy. You know, here's the question. You look at it. You see that, you know, I have 7.85 Bitcoin. I can't get to wow. it. Well, I don't remember the password, but I, but oh, I have the wallet. Oh, so I'll find the password. So you have the promise of I have 7.8. Almost half a million dollars in Bitcoin. Oh, my God. In a way, I'm glad I don't have the password. What I would be going crazy right now. Should I sell it? Should I buy? Should, what should I do? Maybe it's going to yeah. go to a million bucks a coin. I don't know. I don't want to be the guy who bought a pizza for 22,000 Bitcoin. I will say I've got a, uh, all of this talk makes me incredibly depressed because 10 years ago I bought a pizza, among other things, using Bitcoin. What? And those Bitcoin would be worth so much now. How much did that pizza cost you? Do you remember? I mean, oh I my think God. I remember buying Paris. Bitcoin. Like there were at least three Bitcoin involved <sighs> in the transaction. A hundred fifty thousand dollar pizza. I know, Leo. I know. Oh. <laughs> I think about it frequently. Oh. There's also some crumbs of those Bitcoin that were attached to a Coinbase account that I cannot, for the life of me, remember any information about. Yeah, me and too. Yeah. Me, but that's my problem. I I have. I was smart enough. I did everything right. Almost. <laughs> I, was, I was smart enough to, to back up the wallet.dat file. So I always, I have a copy of it. I was smart enough to password protect it. The one mistake I didn't write down or record in any way the, the password. I, be, I, oh, look, I keep looking at my last pass thinking maybe I called it something else. Maybe I, it's not there. So what is there I, a way you can just try to like uh, you can do a hash it. locally with it and you can, just break it that way? Yeah. You know what I figure? I don't want to break it because it's because you know then I would be tempted to sell it. Maybe I shouldn't. I don't want to. It's it's it's. I didn't buy it. It was don't. It was like uh, tips. People would tip me with Bitcoin, so it's it's not like I ever had any of that money. And I figure if it really becomes valuable by then, we'll have quantum computing, and I could just have it be cracked, and then I can get the money. In fact, it's my retirement plan. <laughs> oh my gosh! Right. When it, I would. I, I have lower ethics than you do. I would be like doing everything I could to figure well, that out. Well, I gave it to my uh, 26-year-old son because it's driving him nuts. <laughs> <laughs> he It's really affecting him a lot more than me. And he wants to send us some guy named Bitcoin Dave who, <laughs> who says – Bitcoin Dave – Dave is an acronym, by the way, D-A-V-E for four different hackers who are anonymous – uh, Bitcoin Dave will crack your Bitcoin for a mere 10%. Hmm. 
I told him, I said, wait a minute, you're going to send it to some anonymous hackers. He said, they got great reviews in the Wall Street Journal. You're going to send... That's like the coin star of Bitcoin. Yeah. Give us your old it's Bitcoin. It's Bitcoin star. <laughs> we'll crack it. So I told him, under no circumstances are you to give Bitcoin Dave... Really? The wallet. I don't know. I'd think about it. I would do it. What else are you going to do with it? Bitcoin Dave is going to save you, Leo. Uh, I'd still get 90%. Actually, I'd have to give some to my son. You have 100% of nothing right now. I have 100% of something. But I have have 50% of something after you cut your son in. (laughs) (laughs) True. You guys could take a nice post-COVID vacation together. I know. Bitcoin Dave's not here, man. <laughs> what Bitcoin? Yeah, I, I know. Yeah. You don't send somebody half a million dollars. Say, just give me $50,000. I'll give you $50,000 and you give me the 450000 back. That is not going to happen. I wonder if there's a way to put it in an escrow account or something. There are some, there are some yeah. guys who do cracking will do escrow. Mm-hmm. I said, you can send it to them if you want. The problem is actually that unfortunately... Uh, the Bitcoin Core software that I use actually is, that did the encryption right, <laughs> so it's it's good strong encryption. And I, you know, I'm sure I used a good long password, so I, it'll. I have to wait for quantum computing. By the way, <laughs> I may be waiting a while because it turns out <laughs> quantum computing is not maybe as close as we had uh, thought. Thank you all for being here. We are using our new NewTech TriCaster 2 Elite. How do you like it, John? Thumbs up. There are we're learning things. There are instant replay buttons now on our TriCaster, which we have we've got to figure out a use for. I don't know. Uh, there's and maybe super slow mo. I don't know. We're gonna find a way to use it. This thing is the most complete live production system on the planet. If you watch Twit, you know. Ever since we started streaming video, we, we've we been uh, running on TriCaster. I, I did a, a search for a while when we first started thinking about this, what kind of switcher we should use, what kind of production tools. I settled on New Tech's TriCaster. I'm so glad I did. I think it was partly because uh, some of the New Tech guys came from uh, the video toaster side of the, and I've known them for years. Whatever, it, it was the right choice to make. New Tech has completely expanded their line now, their full line of uh, TriCasters, no matter which you select, you get an entire suite of media production uh, capabilities at your fingertips. We are using now the amazing TriCaster 2 Elite. It's more than a live video production system. It's more than, you know, just a switcher. This is this is an all-encompassing digital media solution to create content. And it's not just for internet or internet streaming. It's for mobile and television distribution, software-driven IP native technology, which gives you the capability, connectivity, and control you need to take on any kind of digital media production. NewTek pioneered the NDI interface, and now thanks to NDI, we can do so many inputs, so much more. When you consider the sheer variety of features offered, no other live production solution enables digital media workflows like the TriCaster 2 Elite. We have Live Call Connect on here. This is something brand new from NewTek, which enhances your production by letting you connect to anyone, anywhere, on any device with high-quality video and audio. Doesn't matter what device, doesn't matter what software. It works with Teams and Skype and Zoom and meetings and Slack, everything. Everything. So that's huge for us. There's We don't use it, but there's integrated live set technology. I know a lot of broadcasters like to have that nice set. You know, you can transform any location into an elaborate virtual environment that looks real. 
In fact, you get full access to the premium library of New Tech Live set virtual sets, so you don't even have to design your own. You can choose from a, a huge variety of simulated environments to suit your style, your brand. Let's not leave out the Live Graphics Creator plugin, which lets you design animated titles, motion graphics, looping effects, and you can do it with tools you already know, the Adobe Creative Cloud Tools. Then import them directly into your TriCaster Live production system. All our lower thirds now are done in Photoshop, which is great for us. Really helps. Live Graphics Creator helps, lets you produce and present spectacular live graphics faster and easier than ever before. It's fun to watch our team because they've done the training and then different team members have said, oh, I want to use this trick and this trick. And so it's really fun to watch them uh, play with the uh, TriCaster. It's always has been. That's one of the great things. What I like is it's reliable. We use it 24-7 uh, and in all our live productions and it's gotten more and more reliable, more robust. The TriCaster 2 Elite is amazing. We love it. Setting new standards, it's, it's frankly, it's better than broadcast. Go to newtech, N-E-W-T-E-K dot com slash TriCaster. You can uh, figure out which TriCaster is right for your needs. They have a nice uh, kind of tool to help you pick your tri your next TriCaster. If, you, if you've been thinking about TriCaster, I couldn't encourage you more. It is, it is absolutely the technology that empowers all of what we do here at Twit. Newtech.com slash TriCaster. Thank you, Newtech, for the TriCaster 2 Elite. It's really more than we need, John. It's way, it's way. <laughs> Don't tell them that, though. <laughs> it is, it is so great. And didn't they use, I think on the last streaming event, the Samsung 20, uh, Note 20 or uh, Galaxy 21 event, Ant figured out how to use some some like instant replay and so he would he would capture the event in as B-roll in the instant replay and then when we were after the event describing pieces of it he could just push a button on the board and play back a clip why aren't you doing that john <laughs> there's nothing to play back you're right <laughs> thank you newtech newtech.com/slash Tricaster. There was a, a big victory in uh, quantum computing declared. Oh, now I'm trying to find the uh, the story. Who was it said that they, they had this huge... Oh, Microsoft, right? Uh, said they, have a, they had a huge breakthrough in quantum computing in 2018. Now they're saying, oh, never mind. Oh. <laughs> Never mind. I am if I could uh, if I could short quantum computing, I would short quantum computing at this point. Yeah, yeah. Um, they had apparently observed an elusive particle called a Majorana fermion, and Microsoft hoped to harness those particles to build a quantum computer. Google and, and IBM and others have, in fact, China's got a quantum computer, um, and they were they were hopeful that this would be huge. Late last month, the 21, 22 co-authors of the paper released a new paper, including more data from their experiments. Turns out they did not find the Majorana fermion. It was a technical error. Oh. Oh. And I was so hopeful that they would be able to crack my Bitcoin wallet. <laughs> did I also hear something about, I know i got to Google this really fast as it's coming out of my mouth, but IBM... Stopping advertising its work on Watson. Well, IBM wants to, wants to dump Watson. 
It's in Down with Watson. Watson, which is uh, was originally famous. Well, I think it was a it was a, a variant of Deep Blue, which won the beat the beat Gary Kasparov, the World Chess Champion at the time. This was years ago. Then they turned it into the Jeopardy <laughs> playing computer, Watson, uh, and then they decided to focus on health strategies. Uh, but turned out, I've read many stories now that say Watson isn't any better than any other technology. It's been struggling for um, market share. And uh, Big Blue is apparently, according to the Wall Street Journal, ready to throw in the towel wow. on, uh, on, on Watson. Uh, wow. God, former, even Watson is out of a even job. Even Watson. <laughs> Yikes. Watson is also, there's some Watson work that happens on the alley between CNET and the Salesforce Tower. So this is just like a death knoll for this. Oh, my God. Watson, distracted by the dancers in, de- in the tower, has decided to pursue a career in the arts. Um, yeah, so apparently, uh, even though they decided... There, here's a picture of Watson uh, playing Jeopardy. He beat Ken Jennings and Brad Rutter to massive Jeopardy champions. But honestly, Watson didn't have to press a buzzer button. And uh, I think that really, that really, you know... <laughs> Not fair. Not fair. Not fair. So, uh, yeah, I thought that I'd heard they were, yeah, they want to sell it. They want to sell it. So, let's see. See if I can find a price. I bet it's cheaper than Pinterest. I don't think that there's a price yet considering a sale to a private equity firm or industry player Uh, or a merger with a blank check company. Okay. That's from ZDNet. What's a blank check company? I don't SPAC, know. Baby. Oh, it's a SPAC. Oh, it's a SPAC. Probably. <laughs> SPAC <sighs> lit up. I just, I just learned about SPACs because of uh, 23andMe, which uh, joined with Richard, um, with Virgin, uh, Virgin's uh, Richard uh, Branson. He had a uh, investment group, the Virgin America or Virgin Investment Group, which uh, has merged with 23andMe as a SPAC. And uh, so now my spit, actually, they have two vials of my spit, is is owned by Virgin. <laughs> I don't think that's good. I don't know. Um, this is so depressing. I don't know if I I I, I went from happy go lucky stuff to depressing stuff. Some Texans are going to get electric bills up to seventeen thousand oh. dollars. This morning, yeah, the New York this... Times said that those very, very high ones seemed slightly exaggerated, but that it's more common that people are getting bills that are still absurd, but more like two to eight thousand. This is uh, that famous uh, surge pricing that uh, Uber made famous, right? When it rains in New York City, Uber prices go through the roof, right? Right. It turns out when the power grid fails in Texas, uh, electricity costs as much as ten thousand percent more. Yeah. And you had some of the people that actually own these companies like making public statements saying, yeah, we just hit the jackpot. Yes, Um, they literally, that was the phrase. Right. So, but to be clear with this reporting, as I understand it, um, this is not all Texans. Like most, the majority of people there are on more fixed pricing. This is essentially people that uh, um, 
they said, look, we will we will take this bet that the price is going to be generally lower and, um, you know, hope that something doesn't happen that really drives prices up. The people that took that option are a minority, not trying to excuse it at all. I still think it's profiteering in the midst of a natural disaster. And I also think it's it's really important to remember that you know, the media has repeatedly said that, you know, Texas has a deregulated uh, energy structure. I, I think having read like Wall Street Journal, New York Times uh, articles about this, like decriminalize would be a more accurate word than deregulate just because some of this extreme behavior, there's literally just no consequence for yeah. it. So I think it's it's very good advice for anyone out there in Texas right now that you might want to turn off auto pay as soon as you can. You know, they're going to yes. offer you something idea. like, wait, uh, could try to come to a five-month uh, pay-us-back plan with it. Don't do that. Like, wait for people to step in and pressure them to come to a reasonable price on this. It's just absolutely unconscionable. We already have uh, big chip shortages, partly because of the Bitcoin run on GPUs, partly because Apple uh, locked up most of the production of TSMC for the the foreseeable future. The uh, storm in Texas is also striking chip makers, according to the Wall Street Journal. Samsung, NXP, and others are powering down their factories, which will enhance the already uh, extreme chip shortage. The Austin facility is 28% of Samsung's overall production capacity. Who knew that Samsung was making 28% of their chips in Austin? I did not know that. that's surprising. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, another story we were looking at doing about uh, NVIDIA and them basically sabotaging one of their lower I, tier graphics. Yeah, cards. No, I, I actually thought this was a good idea. So, yeah, let's yeah. We're, we got Paris back. We sorry we lost you, I guess. But uh, welcome back. We're back on Bitcoin, Paris. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so NVIDIA has announced a new uh, video. Oh, and there she goes again. Oh, my God. She's having uh, having. Uh, bandwidth issues in brooklyn we'll get she's there. teleporting yeah yeah power power's going out yikes boy we shouldn't have said that about the texas power people i'm sorry so <laughs> nvidia has a new uh video card coming out the i think is it the 3060 i think that's it yeah. and uh the problem is right now you can't get a gpu for love or money because they're being snapped up i don't think it's just coin miners in fact i doubt it is i'm sure it has a lot more to do to uh, a lot more uh, because of uh, uh, sp- scalpers and speculation i don't know if i agree with that leo you know friend of uh, twit uh, christina warren and i are both building supercomputers oh. because we have we have quarantine craze right now we've both nice. lost our you minds super gaming I- computers yeah, well, for me, I want to be ready for Unreal 5 when it comes out. With the Apple lawsuit, I'm just, um, even though I'm literally recording this on a $6,000 iMac Pro, I've just come to the conclusion there's no future in Unreal development on uh, oh, the Oh, you Mac were, platform. you know, the last, yeah. uh, a couple of times ago you were on raving about this. Yeah, Unreal Engine 5 looks great, but yeah. I'm, I'm getting ready basically for to learn Unreal and I wanted to develop a really good PC for it. So, you know, Thed, uh, Threadripper, AMD chip, you know, nice. AMD is definitely beaten Intel when it comes to that. Threadripper is just absolutely amazing. But the hardest part to source has been the graphics card. Yeah. And uh, this RTX, the one I ended up getting, 
Leo, it is literally a sixteen hundred dollar um, um, graphics card, and I want to tell you why I believe this really is mostly Bitcoin people uh, um, uh, snatching this up. I did the math on how much money I would make with this if I dedicated this ultra computer that I'm building. It's going to cost about seven thousand dollars to Bitcoin mining all day long. And I ran the math on my electricity costs in the area, and it comes down to roughly about eighteen dollars a day, which would pay for this entire computer in a year if I chose to do that. So, um, you know, so you're going to make right. more Bitcoin yeah. mining than it will cost you in electricity uh, for the year. Yeah. And enough. So wow. enough yeah. so that it will actually pay for this fancy computer. If I chose when, to do that, wow. I'm not sure if I would do it long term because, again, it's an environmental crime. It's a nightmare. And I don't know yeah. if I want to contribute to that. Yeah. I'm probably going to try it some just to be able to talk about it on Rocket. But um, is there, this particular is it a little bit card, of a, uh, yeah. a roulette uh, game? I mean, do you know consistently how much Bitcoin you're mine or is it kind of up and down? And like you might hit 50 Bitcoin tomorrow by accident. Well, as I understand the pricing, and part of why I wanted to do this project was to do it and learn all these things for myself. But as I understand it, they give you a block of it, and it's the the amount of block you can basically get through, and you get paid for that. Um, okay. The company so it's pretty consistent, with, predictable. Return. If you're working with a company, as I understand it, they get to keep the right. Bitcoin or the Ethereum. You're just doing your part in helping get it. But the 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 NVIDIA, you know, uh, the 3090 that I got is excellent for this. The 3080 that Christina got is also excellent for this. Huh. So um, I, I fully believe like the profit motive is there because you can make more money with this than you'd lose not having it. I was assuming that the cost, because, you know, this is part of the way Bitcoin is designed, that it gets more and more difficult to mine. These math problems right. get harder and harder. That's intentional up to when they generate 21 million Bitcoin and then all mining ceases. I was under the impression that by now it was so hard that you really only could do it in places where electricity was almost free. But right. I guess Massachusetts is I, I know that it's – yeah, it's my theory. <laughs> One of my kids got his graphics card when he built his PC. This is a couple of years ago um, from Bitcoin miners just selling them off like crazy probably because it was getting harder. Right. That yeah. – so – what and actually it doesn't affect Bitcoin, I think. But what uh, Nvidia has decided to do with the thirty sixty is to nerf the performance on Ethereum mining. I, I, apparently, it's not it's not Bitcoin mining; it's just Ethereum mining. Right. And uh, the idea being, well, no one will buy this, and we'll be able to sell it to gamers who are demanding it. This is the RTX thirty sixty. It's only a, it's three hundred twenty nine dollars, so it's not as fancy as the one you've got. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the idea is we'll preserve – this will be a good test to see if it's scalpers or if it's actually Bitcoin miners who are snapping up all the stock because it won't be that useful. Now, for some reason, they're, they're focusing on Ethereum. Maybe they've decided that Bitcoin isn't the, uh, that popular right now because of its great cost. Ethereum is more popular. I don't know. Right. But this is what – I don't think this makes sense. I, I think all of us want um, – all of us want uh, you know, companies like Newegg to come to a more equitable way to distribute these graphics cards. Right. You know, with Cyberpunk coming out, there are a ton of people that just want to be able to play this game because it's it's fundamentally broken on consoles. So, you know, the 3080 has ray tracing. There are a lot of really excellent reasons gamers would want to spend $600 on this graphics card. 
where I think the logic is faulty is anyone that has a really large mining operation to be buying these cards at bulk to really be contributing to this problem is going to be able to rewrite this, uh, you know, basically rewrite the driver to get a, a, around this. It, right. it would be very straightforward. NVIDIA so, says it is yeah. not an easy thing to do. There's a secure handshake between the driver and the silicon. So it would be very difficult to code a driver that would uh, eliminate that that uh, hash rate limiter. They say, uh, by the way, it, the, here's their answer to that question of why not Bitcoin. Ethereum has the highest global mining yield for any GPU mineable coin at the moment and is thus the likely main driver for GPUs and mining. Other algorithms do not contribute significantly to GPU demand. I didn't know this. And this cannot change quickly due to the network effects within a given, given cryptocurrency. So anything that uses Dagger, Hashimoto, or uh, ETHash-like ETH algorithms will be affected by the rate limiter. I don't know. Maybe you could mine Dogecoin. <laughs> that's so, the dream, Leo. That's the dream. I'm living the dream. The American dream. The American dream to mine Dogecoin. Uh, University of Cambridge did do a study on the huge cost of uh, Bitcoin mining. Uh, and... Uh, it's 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 pretty bad. Bitcoin accounts for uh, 0.48% of the total electricity production worldwide, 0.56% of the total electric consumption worldwide. Um, wow. Yeah. So, it, wow. yeah, it's if it were a country, Bitcoin would be in between Argentina and Norway in terms of the amount of energy used. Yeah. No nowhere near the US or China, which is at this left-hand side of the graph but uh but still bigger than a lot of countries it, it's a significant drain on resources yeah dang yeah didn't microsoft so just put a, yeah. a lot of speaking of resources and it's not bitcoin mining specific but microsoft has started putting data centers or experimenting with putting data centers underwater yes because it's cooler that's so yeah cool. yeah cool <laughs> i so, wonder what sort of impact that's going to have on ocean life because yeah. the heat that well, produces is immense. Yeah, but their Google searches will be so much faster. Oh, that's true. <laughs> yeah. And they'll be very wet. <laughs> <laughs> How to avoid shark bite. Um, <laughs> let's take a little break. Come back with more. I'm glad. So your, your power's been going in and out, Paris? Is that what's going on? No, I think that it was... I uh, got to stop mining Bitcoin during the show. Yeah, I was mining Bitcoin during the stream, yeah, and that yeah. was a little bit of an issue. It was also just that I have this microphone plugged into my computer and a webcam, and I was using a non, uh, a small Apple brick to power my oh, you need MacBook big brick. instead of a big brick. <laughs> and so it wasn't fully charging, and I was ah. at 5%, even though I was plugged in. So I had to go find the big brick. We got it, John. We got to add that to our. Uh, rundown of things to do before you come on to big brick get the big brick. big brick energy as they say <laughs> oh well it's i i'm glad did i miss something no yeah a little it was big good that was brick good energy that was good that was good big uh, brick energy went right over my head uh and then probably it's a good thing <laughs> I'm thinking. Somebody will fill you in later. Okay. It's kind of it's it's related to the Salesforce Tower. That's what I'm afraid is, yeah. of. Lindsay Turrentine is here. She is a senior vice president of content and audience at CNET and also a wonderful person. It's always great to have you. Thank you for taking Thank some you. time out this 
Sunday evening. Same to you, Paris Martineau from The Information, where she's working on Amazon. We'll get to our Amazon stories next. How about that, Paris? Prepare yourself. Sounds Gird good. your big I'm brick always energy for the next segment. <laughs> and... <laughs> And I'm sorry to embarrass you, Brianna Wu, Executive Director at the Rebellion Pack. Actually, this is the greatest thing ever. And I used Pill Pack before Amazon acquired them. They were an advertiser here. And I loved it because it was, it's kind of, it's, it's a real pharmacy, but it was, it was automated. Amazon bought Pill Pack and, and, and integrated that technology into something new they've just launched called Amazon Pharmacy. If you want to fill your prescriptions, as easy as pie, without leaving home, you got to check out Amazon Pharmacy. It works with your doctor, using your prescriptions, and your insurance company. Saves you time, delivers medication right to your door. You get the meds you need without leaving home, without taking any chances. One less errand, more safety for you. And it's, I have to say, having used it in the past, it's amazing. It saves you time. So Amazon Pharmacy delivers your medication directly to the door. No more waiting in line at the pharmacy. No one wants to do that. People coughing and hacking and everything. It's easy because you, you just have your doctors send the prescription straight to Amazon Pharmacy. They coordinate with your doctor. They ensure everything's accurate. They actually have some very interesting technologies to make sure you get exactly the right prescription, the right size pill, everything. You're getting what you need. Yes, you can use your insurance. Amazon Pharmacy works with almost every insurance plan nationwide. And if you don't have insurance, great, because Amazon Prime members get free two-day delivery and savings on prescription medication if you're paying without insurance. So everybody, if you're a Prime member, you get the two-day, and you'll also get discounts if you're not using insurance. The pricing, very easy to understand, very clear. In fact, most of the time, I don't know about your experience, if you go to the pharmacy to get medication, you don't know what the cost is until you get to the, the check stand. And then they go, that's $374, please. Amazon Pharmacy tells you right up front what your insurance copay is, the price without insurance. You know exactly what you're paying before you make the transaction. And, of course, it's absolutely private, absolutely secure. They never share any personal health data outside the pharmacy. That's their promise to you. And, yes, there is a pharmacist on staff 24-7. So you can always ask for advice or ask questions. You can always speak with a pharmacist any time of the day or night. Amazon Pharmacy. If you're an Amazon Prime member, you'll save on prescription medication when not using insurance. And you get free two-day delivery. And I have to say, the technology behind this is really amazing. It's fast. It's easy. It's always accurate. Amazon.com slash TwitRx. That's the URL. Just use that so they know you saw it here. They're, you know. That's all I ask. Amazon.com slash TwitRx. Amazon Pharmacy. Brand new. Tried it out immediately, of course. And it's it's really amazing. Amazon.com slash TwitRx. Thank you, Amazon, for supporting the show. And uh, thank you for supporting the show by using that special address. So first of all, I guess I want to ask you, Paris Martineau, about Jeff Bezos uh, stepping back. Uh, and uh, giving the CEO job to a guy named Greg Jassy, who is the AWS. Andy Jassy. Andy Jassy, I'm sorry. Who is uh, AWS, runs AWS right now. Uh, from your time covering Amazon, good move? I mean, I think it's certainly an interesting move, a surprising move. Um, makes sense in a lot of ways, though. Jeff, prior to 
the pandemic had, I mean, as most CEOs of a company, the size of Amazon been a little checked out from day-to-day operations and focused more on the variety of um, moonshots or kind of new initiatives the company was focused on. Or I guess in Bezos' specific case, the moonshots like um, that he has personally invested in. Um, he's also got his own kind of investments in the Washington Post and things like that that have been taking his time away from the core of the company. And Jassy has been with Amazon for two, more than two decades now. Almost, a, you know, he is uh, very well positioned to take over and be able to kind of manage um, the day-to-day things um, that Bezos uh, doesn't have that much interest in. That and, being and may said, not have been doing it, much with of late. And right? may not have been doing much. Yeah. And I guess that being said, one uh, point that Amazon execs were hammering over and over because this announcement of the transition happened at the exact same time as fourth quarter earnings, which it I mean meant that the entire fourth quarter earnings. Uh, calls afterwards because once a company released this they generally have a press call as well as the calls with investors all of the talk was kind of dominated by this news but during those calls um amazon executives kept mentioning over and over again okay yes jeff is stepping back but he's still going to be involved in key product decisions if there's you know a big uh decision or choice or acquisition topic Jeff, who is going to be on uh, executive chairman of the board now, he'll still be involved with those. So it's not a complete transition, even though it kind of is. Uh, There are some who say, well, the timing was exactly right because it had the best quarter ever, huge profits. So good time to go out. Insane profits. Insane profits. A good time to go out on a high. And others have pointed out also a good time to get out because – the world is closing in. You've got uh, Congress investigating. You know, there's a lot of anti-big tech sentiment. Amazon's going to start having union issues. In fact, there was an article in the New York Times Magazine this today. Amazon's great labor awakening. Uh, COVID-19 has cemented the e-commerce giant's hold on the economy, but it has also spurred employees all around the country to organize. Amazon, yeah, like Google, has 8th. been fighting unioning, unionization. Uh, they don't, on February they don't 8th, uh, mail-in ballots went out to all the employees of Amazon's warehouse in Bessemer, Alabama, um, so that they can send in their votes as to whether or not they want to participate in a union. Amazon had been very vehemently opposed to this and tried to make it so that uh, the employees couldn't vote from home and instead would have to come into the warehouse in mass to cast their votes, despite all of the COVID concerns, but they were overruled. The, you know, there's, the article talks about uh, Amazon in what's called the Inland Empire in Southern California, San Bernardino and Riverside counties. Amazon is the largest employer in the region, 14 facilities, 14 Two logistics air hubs, 40,000 people work for Amazon in this area of Southern California. And so, you know, one of the things people say is, well, if you don't like working at Amazon, at least they're hiring, at least people are getting jobs. Nobody's making you work there. But if you live in this area, it may be that's the job. That's the one job you can get. And the thing that I think people are uh, overlooking is more and more that is going to be the case across the U.S. Specifically, over the last year during COVID, Amazon had this unprecedented physical expansion in the U.S. Um, It now, I mean, 
it more than doubled the number of delivery stations that it has in the U.S., which are these kind of warehouse facilities that, unlike the fulfillment centers we think of, they operate kind of like Amazon post offices where uh, packages from Amazon warehouses will go and then be organized so that they can be delivered. But Amazon has been like I believe that they grew their physical presence in the U.S. over 2020 by more than 50 percent. Um, Between and January and October of 2020, they added 427,300 employees worldwide, almost half a million yeah. new workers, a thousand new facilities in suburbs across the United States, a thousand and those facilities are specifically about localizing delivery and allowing – I mean those facilities may not have that many direct jobs working in the facility, but they operate as hubs for Amazon Flex, which is their kind of uh, contract-based, almost Uber-esque delivery program where people can agree to sign up for blocks to go pick up packages and then drop them off at people's homes in the 40-minute radius around the facility, which means – there are less of those packages uh, being delivered by postal workers or UPS and more kind of going to this weird haphazard Amazon ecosystem. It doesn't surprise me that, that California is seeing such growth because we passed Prop 22 in June, which was the proposition floated by Uber and Lyft to allow them to continue to hire, not to hire workers, to make them contractors. Um, and uh, it feels like it's... It, 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 the, in California, you've got an opportunity to do more more of this gig working stuff, this flex style stuff, uh, because it's now protected. And you don't have to pay people for health insurance. You don't have to pay people a decent living wage. Is I just think about the I think about the people I met running for office here in Massachusetts that worked at Amazon and them telling me about the working conditions where they felt tremendous pressure to come in at you know, 10 and then work until, you know, the early hours of the morning. Um, I, I remember hearing about older people talking to me about how they lost their job and they're trying physically to push through, you know, walking around a warehouse all day, putting things in boxes and how it takes a brutal toll on their body. And you, know, you read in this New York Times story about how this lawsuit being brought forward is because they wouldn't keep people safe from COVID-19 and, and kind of pushed past the kind of protections that they needed to take allegedly. So um, I, I just think Amazon can put out all the slickest videos in the world there. But I think ultimately they've got to be answerable to regulators in providing a safe workplace. That that just seems like the, the bare minimum there. Is unionization a solution? Go ahead, uh, Paris. Sorry. Oh, I was going to say, and this week in particular, I think shows kind of the uh, complexity of that uh, push and pull between Amazon and regulators as – um, the New York State Attorney General just sued Amazon for what they allege as uh, not pro properly protecting their employees from COVID-19. And that only came after Amazon a couple of days earlier preemptively sued the New York State Attorney General saying the New York State Attorney General shouldn't have uh, the authority to try and regulate our uh, protection of workers in New York facilities. That should only be the job of the federal government. You should keep our, your hands off of us. Wow. Um, so it's, I mean, growing and growing. And this is far from the only case that Amazon is currently involved at a state attorney general level right now. Yeah. 
Yeah, and Leah, to answer your question about unionization, I am I am clear-eyed and realistic. I think sometimes people talk about unions like they're a, they're a panacea, and here in Boston, we are a union town. Like everything in Boston is based around the power of of unions. Look at Marty Walsh; that was just uh, brought into the Biden administration. He's a union guy, and the reason he's mayor of Boston is because of those ties. Um, I. I you know, some of the most sexist experiences I had running for office were dealing with unions here in Boston. Like it was just the most condescending, like old boys club stuff you could possibly imagine. And I'm, I'm realistic that that is something that happens with this. But I feel like overall, your know, workers are not going to like Amazon is a corporation. They're going to do ways in their best interest, which is pay their workers the least. And I just think overall moving in that direction, is it going to solve every single problem? Of course not. Are there going to be unintended consequences? Of course not. Am I going to pay a little bit more in Amazon Prime every year? Of course not. But will it give workers the bargaining power that they need to make these workplaces more safe? I think that answer is probably yes. So I'm personally very much for that. It's a challenge. I mean, I, especially during a quarantine, I shop at Amazon more. That's why they made more money. I'm not alone. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a great convenience, um, but you you really have to be aware of the toll uh, that it's taking on its workers. Um, I think if we've learned anything over the last decade, it's that people will trade almost anything for convenience. Yep. And yeah. I actually think that I mean, very, very, very big picture. That speaks to the absolute premium our time is at as a culture yeah a country and like in the, in the world overall like we all are just sort of taxed down to the very very minute of every day and so we're willing to pay to get some of that time back and i it's it's a tough that's my excuse and i'm sticking with it it's tough <laughs> i'm busy i don't have time i'm sorry amazon workers i think you know a lot of us say well if they didn't like it they could quit here's a quote from the uh, the new york times story there, you know, we workers get fired very easily over small things or not making rates or taking too much time off task. There's always this pool of people who are one step behind you. So if you speak up or if you organize, in other words, attempt to unionize, there's a hundred temp workers right outside the door who would be able to take your job. And I get, I gather, they're not just they're not that many other jobs. Yeah, especially not that many other jobs that pay at the rate of Amazon. Which it's more than is, minimum um, wage, right? It's, 50, you know, $15 an hour in a lot of warehouses, yeah. um, which is a good rate in comparison to the minimum wage and uh, pay for other um, work and labor. But I don't think that minimizes in any way the complaints and toll that these sort of jobs are taking on these people's bodies and their lives. And by the way, I could go shop at Walmart, but I don't know if that's going to make it be any better. I, you know, mm-hmm. I think this is maybe a systemic problem. And, and, and as a consumer, I don't know if there's a, a remedy. I can, I guess, go down to my local stores. I probably should buy books. There are some, um, I mean, there are some, I guess, remedies or alternatives being proposed. Bookshop uh, is a... Uh, a local, I guess, alternative for right. Amazon, just in the sense that it connects a lot of local booksellers. They specifically are getting the um, payment when you buy a book from them and it's shipped to you. 
Similarly, in New York, um, there is a new kind of initiative called it's shop in dot NYC. Um, and it is a collection of retailers here in Brooklyn and Manhattan that are just, you know, storefronts, small shops, but they all of their products have been integrated onto this online platform. And you can go and buy, you know, chocolates, uh, pants, random house goods, things like that. <laughs> They're all from different stores, but then the stores will put them in a little box, put it outside. A courier will come and pick it up. It'll all be put in one box for you oh, and delivered to your door. I'll and those do stores that. Get the money. That sounds good. Yeah. I've been buying audiobooks because Audible, uh, I've been an Audible customer for, since for 20 years now. Um, that's owned by Amazon. So I've been looking at Libro.fm. Corey Doctorow told me about this, which is the same audiobooks, but they share some of the money with your local bookstore. And you can see my local Copperfields books uh, get some of the money. So I think that's a nice way to do it. Maybe we should start looking for those kinds of alternatives. Yeah, I, I don't know. I always I feel like I've, I've sat in so many meetings where people talk about some future they want to get to where the everyone on the planet is going to make this different choice and it's all going to get better. Everyone just sign off of Facebook. It'll solve everything. And I, I really feel strongly that, you know, the answer is regulation. Yeah. I, 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 I just, I feel like anything more than that is just wishing it's almost. Yeah. The it, onus shouldn't be on the consumer. Right. right exactly. Okay. And it shouldn't, and, we're, and humans are not famous for making the right decisions no. just because we think they're the right decisions. Right. <laughs> uh, I'm having so much fun. What a great panel. Brianna Wu. Uh, again, rebellionpack.com. What are you driving? Still, you're driving your Porsche? Uh, your Boxster? I, Leo, I just bought a 1986 Carrera 3.2 <sighs> Targa. I have an air-cooled Porsche. I have been working. I needed a pandemic project. I have been working nonstop on fixing it up, and it is beautiful and exquisite to drive. Is it a ragtop? It is. It is a ragtop, and it is it is garge red, and it is. Oh man! Oh, oh, I tell you, it is so much fun. See, because I'm not on Facebook or Instagram or that stuff, I don't know how anybody's doing anymore. You've probably <laughs> posted pictures about this. I just haven't seen them. I, I try to, you know, it's it's a Porsche, so I try not to talk about it. I know, much, I know, I know. I feel guilty. It's a lot of yeah, honestly. I, I just bought too. a new car. I feel very guilty. I don't want to. Yeah. I know. I feel so bad about people for people. Uh, it's such a tough time for so many people right now. Yeah. I, I don't want to celebrate my uh, any of my victories. But at the same time, it's like, you know, I there's something about it. Like modern cars are, you know, it's like an 80s synthesizer. Like you can program <laughs> a computer to play a chord perfectly well and it will do it faster and better and more accurately. But it's the difference in you sitting down at a piano and learning to play those scales yourself and putting the emotion into it. That is what driving a 34-year-old Porsche 911 feels like. You're working the gears yourself. There's no power steering. You feel every bump in the road. You have to check the oil yourself because the gauges are pointless. It is a, it is the opposite of everything in the technology industry, and I just I love it. It makes me feel so alive driving it. So you're basically... Uh, saying that by driving a modern car, I'm 
I'm driving like Kraftwerk, the equivalent. Of, <laughs> like, your your car is beautiful. Leo. Okay. I would not say I do, I do like my new that. car. Yes. Yeah, it's all electric, so I'm pretending it's good for the environment. That's my. I've thought there are kits out there. I'm really close to. They're only uh, fifteen thousand dollars for you to pull the engine out of this thing and turn it into an electric car. And I'm about this close to doing that because it'll put all the weight down, so it's more stable. And I just, I think it will be a blast to actually do that. Yeah. It's fun to drive, too, because they, they have so much. That would be really interesting to see plugged in at the electric uh, charging station. Right. Laugh right. At you. Old yeah. <laughs> Neil Young famously took a, a Lincoln with suicide doors and uh, turned it, electrified it. I'd love, love that. <laughs> a, an electric boat, basically, for the highway. Paris Martineau also with us from the information it's great to I'm have uh, you. driving my electric bike. Oh, around the aren't those great? Here. Don't you love those? They're the best. Best decision I have made in a long time. I have the Freedom X from Wing Bikes, which is a retailer based here in uh, New York. And it is the absolute best decision I have made. It's wonderful. Nice. Uh, electric bikes are great because you still pedal. You still feel like you're riding a bike. But whenever you need I it. Can turn off the pedal assist if I want, which I do some my regularly. Yeah. But, you know, if I need to get to the dentist office at 8 a.m., I don't want to be a sweat it's monster, awesome. so I'll turn it off. Yeah. Love it. It's best of both the worlds. And Lindsay Turrentine, who is uh, basically living in the eight is enough house. That's true. <laughs> there are, in this case, it's it's six. Six, six is, is an, almost also enough. Also two cats. So that's eight. I guess that's eight. There it is. That's eight. Uh, but they've been um, wonderful yeah. during this event. They've been quiet. I see you put the CNET logo up on the wall, which is awesome. I love this that. This was our C. This is our CES set. So I'm just I'm on I'm on set. Perfect. She's on set. SVP content and audience at CNET. Fantastic panel. So glad you're here. Um, oh, I wanted to play a little bit of a video here. So Metallica. I guess every year at the Blizzard conference. Um, oh, and you know what? I had the link and I don't have it with me. Chat room, do you have that YouTube link of the actual? I guess I can't play it. So anyway, Metallica is doing a conference for BlizzCon, but it's got to be streamed, right? And they streamed it uh, among other places. They streamed it on YouTube, but they also streamed it on Twitch. Except that... <laughs> On Twitch, if you play copyright music, they don't like that because there's no license fee. Even if you are Metallica, even if you're Metallica, Metallica they're playing for whom the bell <laughs> tolls. This is how it sounded on Twitch. <laughs> it's a little bit smaller bell than I remember, but they are rocking out to it, aren't they? Look at that. <laughs> Kirk Hammett just jamming that solo. Oh, man. <laughs> They're getting a taste of their own medicine. They're, yes, because, right, you remember Lars Ulrich was the guy who put Napster out of business, claiming all their music was stolen on Napster. Uh, I guess if you were watching on YouTube, uh, they they allowed the music to go through. But, you know, it's these are automatic, these uh, copyright protection tools. And I guess the good news is Metallica sounded just like they did on the record. 
Leo, I have to say, like the music rights situation on Twitch is just—it's a—it's an absolute mess. I mean, when you—it's gotten to the point where games are literally putting options in the menu saying turn off all licensed songs. Right. Like if you're streaming this on Twitch uh, so you don't get copyright strikes, that's a fundamentally broken situation. And I think, you know, earlier we had a discussion about wanting journalists to get paid. Obviously, we want musicians to be paid for their music, uh, to be fairly compensated, but it's just it's an absolutely untenable situation on there's Twitch. A, and there's yeah. a good model for this, which is um, TikTok. Yeah, TikTok pays a lot of money. I believe I know they just did a big payment to UMG, the Universal Music Group. Um, they pay a lot of money to um, allow you to use music. And you know what? I think the record companies like it too. Look at the Fleetwood Mac Dreams which 20 years after its release is number one on the, was number one on the charts again because some guy on a skateboard with some cranberry juice <laughs> used it and everybody said picked up on it and, it and and it went right up back up the charts. So it's good for music sales. They pay license fees. That's a good model, the TikTok model. Yeah. Maybe they don't like it on Twitch because it goes on in the background but it's, there's still somebody talking over it, right? It's not like you could say, well, I don't have to buy that song. I got it from Twitch. Yeah. I mean, it seems very incidental to the use for me. I mean, you know, they're licensing in the game itself. You're broadcasting a copy of the game. Yeah. You're playing it. It's it's ridiculous. It's good for the know? record. Also, you don't have that many, in the music industry these days does not have that many places in my day, you've got it on the radio, man, you could sell some records. I don't think that's the case anymore. They yeah. don't have as many places they can promote a record. I think they should take advantage of that. I also think it's worth like really thinking about who the people are they're streaming on Twitch. You know, I do it for my speed runs. I, I have a very, very tiny channel. It's more like to just prove that I did it. But I mean, this is like one of the few areas where a lot of millennials and you know, Gen Y have yeah, some of them are getting extra cash from this, and a very lucky few have managed to make a living from it. Like that's the people you're going after. Like it, it's just ridiculous. These are not giant corporations. So, I I, I just think Twitch is fundamentally broken here. Uh, let me see. Am I going to get in trouble if I play this video? Oh, this is somebody else's uh, video of it. I want to find the actual performance of them playing for whom the bell tolls because it just breaks in right in the middle let me see if i can find it here's the five minute performance and i see this is this is uh this isn't gonna have it and besides they just get us taken down even though and correct me if i'm wrong Lindsay turrentine i believe that would be fair use we're covering a news story right Yes, it would be fair use. Yeah. You're talking. I mean, I'm not a lawyer, but you but you're talking about <laughs> right. the story, right. right? Which is about that. Go explain to them. To the uh, computers the, don't understand. Uh, they don't. Fair use, they don't get fair use. No, they don't get it. Ladies and gentlemen, fun show. I really appreciate your time. It's probably the sun has already gone down in San Francisco, so it's probably too late, Lindsay, for you to go out and enjoy this wonderful balmy air evening. I'm gonna go out. Dude, get out, out of here. I, still, I see sun out there. Go on out. Get on out of here. Lindsay Turrentine, SVP content and audience, CNET, one of the smartest people in the business. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much for bringing your knowledge to our show 
this week and every week. I really not every week, but every time you're on, you're wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> every thank week you so that you're on. Me. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Paris Martineau. I'm so glad you landed the information. You make my four hundred dollar a year subscription fee worth it. Um, glad to hear that. Yes, <laughs> yes. Tell Jessica I will keep subscribing as long as they have Paris Martineau on the staff. I'll, I'll let her know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> She actually did a uh, just did a good piece. She's been she's been um, writing more about the kind of at the at the kind of the thought piece level, which is great. Yeah, she has a good uh, column on Saturday. Yeah, she just did about uh, media. Oh, okay. The takeaway. Yeah. So she mm-hmm. has a good piece. If you haven't read it, on the big lesson from Google and Facebook's uh, Australia news crisis. Good think piece. Uh, thank you. So thank you, Paris. Really appreciate it. Go out and enjoy your electric bike on the streets of Brooklyn. Oh, I will. Watch out for the renegade Uber drivers. And uh, thank you so much. Actually, watch out for the Porsche Carrera Targa, (laughs) driven all the way from Massachusetts by Brianna Wu. Rebellion Pack. Let me go there. Anything we should tell people about Rebellion Pack? You know, uh, if you believe in the work that we do, which is uh, helping get the right Democrats elected, you can do uh, support us by going helptherebellion.com. Uh, uh, we're doing a really big push on this uh, civil rights bill, which we're very excited about. And, you know, basically it's not enough to believe in something or tweet about something. Yeah. You have to support causes that you believe in. Um, so Good. there it is. And the money you use for what? Lobbying for TV commercials? What do you That's do? That's a really good question. Leo, we're very seriously looking at actually hiring our very own lobbyist uh, for Rebellion Pack who would directly go to Congress and uh, propose bills. And one of the things I would do if we did that was start forming alliances with tech groups to put forward tech policy that I believe in. So if you've got a lobbyist on staff, the way that you get bills passed is uh, working with other people. So there's a lot of work that we would get done on tech issues. I would love it also if you would provide informational, uh, you know, stuff as nonpartisan as you can to members of Congress who are unfortunately often woefully undereducated on tech issues. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I just, we watched, Lisa and I watched uh, Steven Spielberg's Lincoln last night. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was so fun to watch and know that Congress has been just as screwed up for 150 <laughs> years. It's not, it's not changed all that much. The, the, the debates are still the same. They just don't beat each other with sticks as much as they uh, used to. Well, there's, Maybe. The there's other people to do yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> Brianna Wu, Executive Director of Rebellion Pack. Thank you all three of you for being here. We do twit every Sunday afternoon right after my radio show. It's about 2.30 Pacific, 5.30 Eastern, uh, 22.30 UTC. You can pick it up on our live stream. You don't have to, but if you like to watch live, uh, I like live for some reason. I guess that's why we offer the live stream because it's just real, unedited and fun, and you know people are doing it exactly as you're watching it. That live stream audio and video is available at twit.tv slash live. Uh, you can pick which uh, stream you want. <laughs> you know, it'd be funny if Twitch replaced this entire show with bells. That would be great. Uh, <laughs> be my guest, because we still have YouTube and Ustream and all the other sources. Uh, if you're watching live, chat live. That's the uh, chat room at irc.twit.tv. There's a web interface. Uh, best way to do it if you're going to be in there more than once is to get an IRC client. It's the old school, predates even the World Wide Web. It's the way things used to be, kids. All text, all the time. IRC.twit.tv. On-demand versions of everything we do available at our website, twit.tv. 
Um, and, you know, honestly, uh, there's audio and video there, but you can also watch YouTube. There's a YouTube channel for This Week in Tech. Probably my favorite way for you to watch is to subscribe on your favorite podcast client. That way you get it <clears throat> every week. You don't have to think about it. It's just there on your device and you can listen to it on your way home or wherever you're going. On your way to Popeye's Chicken, which is, I think, where I'm going. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for joining us. We'll see you next time. I didn't mean to say that out loud. Another twit is in the can. Doing the twit. Doing the twit. You could take it uh, KFC and make it the uh, KFC PC that they're putting out. They're making a KFC a, PC. Oh, it's it's oh, what's the name of it? The KFC computer. The I, I con- the oh, it's from Cooler it. Master. The, the KF yeah. console. KF console. Yeah. Power your hunger. To keep your chicken. Warm, How did I miss know? this? From the fires of the KFC ovens built by Cooler Master from the ground up. There's never been a taste to your way. Can you put chicken in it? Yeah, you can't. It's a decent PC, oh, too. It, wait, so. what? What? <laughs> it has a chicken chamber. What? I simply hate it. Wait a Why? minute. Doesn't that drip grease into your... Utilizing the system's natural heat and airflow system, you can now focus on your gameplay and enjoy hot, crispy chicken between rounds. You probably could use it with, with, with Popeyes. I mean, you don't have to use... <clears throat> or just some sushi if you like warm sushi. What the? <laughs> this... I just appreciate it because they understand gamers are living too healthy a lifestyle. This is hysterical. Isn't that great? Oh my really God. Where can I get this? I want to buy it now. It's not for sale yet. Or at least <laughs> the last time I checked. Oh man, can you imagine we're doing the show and I just reach over and I open the door on my on my PC and I pull out a nice piece of chicken. <laughs> Is it inside that drawer right that door right there? I don't own it. I don't know. Oh my god. This is the story of the of the day. I can't believe we missed it. I I should have pitched wow. it. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's all right. I think this will get in the show somehow. Maybe <laughs> maybe uh, after the uh, after hours part of the show. Awesome. I get about. Thank you. I'll Take care. You bye, Brianna. Right, Thank you, see Paris. Ya. See you later. Bye bye. Oh, it's a nuck. Oh, that's crazy. Inside the Cooler Master NC one hundred chassis, they put a nuck so that more space could be devoted to fried chicken. The hell? That's cray cray oh we're definitely getting one for the studio as soon as it comes out wow wow (laughs) where's the chicken it's a portal it's a chicken portal (laughs) that's crazy there's a picture of the world's first built-in chicken chamber I think it's right inside this door. Where's the schematics? Oh, yeah. That's the chicken chamber. You pull the little drawer out. You can't put much chicken in there. But that's why it stays warm because that's the, there's a fan here blowing up right through the, right through the chicken. 
Can you imagine how disgusting this this PC must smell? Oh my God! Well, it's got it's got to be sealed. It can't. You got a little. You got a little drip tray. They probably will never make this right. There's no buy links on this. Introducing the KF console. Power your hungry hunger. This is this is an April Fool's joke. It has to be. <laughs> <laughs>